just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. The Magic Castle and also the Bates Hotel with a double of uh, Sheen Sheen Baker's The Florida Project and Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. And here to get a little mad sometimes is uh, first time on a podcast, uh, but he's also a movie critic for the likes of Film Inc. and The Curb, which which Curb is, I love The Curb, so if you haven't checked that out, please do. Andrew has uh, created an amazing site. Um, It's Hagen Osborne. Hey, how's it going? Hello, thank you, Lindsay, for having me. I also echo that sentiment for the curb too, as well. Andrew has changed the game completely. You'll also never meet someone that loves Aussie cinema more, as well. So visit the curb. Ooh, curb is amazing. Make it happen. Yes, I, I, he's pushed me to actually watch more Australian cinema because I am really bad at it. <laughs> I don't uh, watch enough. If you ever want to see him. Um, pressured in that it pushed in that regard as well i kept telling him the only australian movies i saw last year were mortal kombat and peter rabbit too as well so if you ever want to be funny um say that to him <laughs> or at least i found it funny yeah i, I can imagine i can imagine i can <laughs> would just be he was not impressed Let's no he wouldn't that. have been it's <laughs> just like what are you doing to me <laughs> yeah. thank um, you for having me Z. i just wanted just to say as well before we kick into gear as well i am such a massive fan of yours um you've encouraged me as well during i realized as well prior to the lockdown um this quarantine world that we have been living in mm-hmm. that i really focus on not only really watching new releases but being not being able to go outside for that long period of time i was actually able to play a lot of catch-up so i just mm-hmm. wanted to say a lot of watching you um indulge in the black and gray black and white of it all as well was really inspiring for me and i've caught some really great stuff because of you so thank you and i'm so excited um to chat to you for the first time no, this is our first time chatting. Um, we live in the same city, but because we live in a quarantine world, we've never actually been able to hang out. Uh, but no, um, I was really looking forward to chatting to you as well. And unfortunately, you sort of, I think you suggested Psycho with uh, Florida Project. It's like, hey, we could do this. And I can just jumped on it. We nope, we're doing Psycho. <laughs> Always so, do Hitchcock. Always do Psycho. I can appreciate that. Yeah, so I'm kind of glad that I thank you for letting me uh, pair Psycho with uh, the Florida Project because uh, I think this is actually had more in common with it than I thought going in. I was looking forward to comparing uh, Willem Dafoe's character to um, Anthony Perkins, but there's kind of a lot more Ooh. happening 
in it. Um, oh, I can I can see that now that you. I never actually thought of really yeah. contrasting the two together, but I suppose they're very um, uh, very thin gentlemen as well with striking features in that regard. So actually, you give me a whole new light in the movie. Yes, one you can actually trust to help take care of you, even when he should have just locked you out of the hotel to begin with. Norman Bates you might activate him and then he just might kill you in the shower um so yeah yeah i'm not i'm not i'm not eating sandwiches with norman bates <laughs> um, i'm all for it sandwiches with milk just sounds awful um no. <laughs> so six so 50s but so 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 awful um but no i've been really looking forward to chatting with you because um you on social media are great especially with the films you watch your humor and your adventures with your dog ralph who um, no, cool. i feel like i know <laughs> He's the best movie buddy that you can yeah. ask for. Let's just say that. Can I ask Lindsay as well? Yeah. Like I know as well, um, being based in Melbourne as well, you can't. We kind of stick to certain cinemas in that regard. Where where do we see you hanging out on the weekend? Uh, usually it's up in Petridge, the uh, in Coburg. Um, that's because I'm just closer to there. Because you're in more of the South Melbourne, aren't you? You go to the classic. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I haven't actually been to the Pentridge yet as well, actually. Yeah. I'm really, really keen to as well. I know it was based on, like, it's been refurbished from an old prison. A prison? very famous old prison, yes. Uh, it, you'll hear the Queenslandisms as well um, from me throughout yeah. this as well. But I've been very keen to do it. I normally try if I'm going out and above um, to try and do double mm. features as well just to make my money. So I'll have to do it someday. We'll have to see something. We will. Yes. And I finally went to the classic um, inside baseball. I went with Nadine to see Airwig at the classic. Um, oh, nice. For the Europa, was yes. it? Yes. Yeah, for the Europa Festival. And um, that's a that's a, that's a a wow of a movie. Um, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to explain that movie. Just go see it. Um, why can't it's, it's a beautiful cinema, that one as well. To be oh, honest, it's, it's a little bit further away from me. Um, I'm a bit of a bum and I normally just go to Crown just because it's across the road from me as well. But, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> Crown, uh, the Nova as well, I can mm. go to quite... Well, I haven't been as regularly as the moment as well or else I really love the um, the cinemas down. I like that um, all the Melbourne reviewers have their choice of cinemas and the ones that they... Like, their, their favourite. You can really tell a lot about people. Um, but, of course, like, all the key, the Kino and um, the ones in the Como and stuff yeah. like that there as well. No, I find it's usually the cinema that they're closest to. Like, I used to go to the Nova a lot, and then lockdown happened, and then the one at Pentridge Prison, former Pentridge Prison, I should say, um, mm-hmm. opened. I'm like, that's right down from my house. That's awesome. Um, and But, yeah, I do love uh, the Esther. Um, I do love some of the – yeah, Kino, I used to go to a lot. Um, Nova, yeah, as I said, I used to go to a lot. So, yeah, Melbourne is actually just – it took me – because I've lived here for 16 years – um, and it took me ages to figure out how many cinemas there were in Melbourne. I just thought there was the one Hoyts in, in the center <laughs> of the city and that was it. And then I went, wait, what? There's a, there's this stuff that plays old movies down in, uh, on Chapel street. And I was just like, yes, please. I will, I will take yeah, those two trains. <laughs> I, I live here now basically as well, but there's like, there's such personality to all the cinemas as well. And like, really, you yeah. just get a flavor for the different versions of it as well. So what a, what a great place Melbourne is for film nerds, isn't it? really is yeah there's so much you can just see um and go out to see um so it's um it's a treasure of a place to live and uh we just spent uh, 10 minutes talking about melbourne but melbourne is an awesome city and has Ooh. an amazing amazing film culture yes um and like i always pretend with the, these doubles i'm sitting in a movie theater just waiting like at the Astor, waiting for the curtains to open um so with that <laughs> the curtains are opening and we're going to be uh going florida project then psycho 
um, because it's psycho. Uh, okay, so Hagen, um, if you were going to show, what would your first trailer be for the Florida Project? So I picked two movies that are quite similar, similar in the like, and I know we've just spoken now as well. And there's there's yeah. certainly things that we have crossed over for this as well, which mm. I like to think if people are thinking of the same ideas that you're you're in the right direction in terms of your thought. Mm. Um, so the first one that I picked is. Uh, Beast of the Southern Wild um, from, I believe, 2012. The whole universe depends on everything fitting together just right. Have one piece bust, even the smallest piece, the entire universe will get busted. is an aurochs, a fierce creature. The star's coming! The star's coming! Y'all better learn how to survive. I'm your daddy, and it's my job to take care of you, okay? Uh, so I don't know if you've seen it, Lindsay, as well, but I think what has been really inspiring and i think from like sean baker's perspective is perhaps one of the first filmmakers to really embrace this style fully as well mm. but it's really the combination between this docu-fiction style of filmmaking um where he really connects first-time actors with roles in his movie mm. uh this leans as well to the other trailer that i'll speak to in a second as well but i think with a lot of the conversation going on at the moment with regards to having people who are millionaires portraying these marginalized roles it's really striking people the wrong way and I think that's very much for all the right reasons as well having people who haven't lived in the shoes of those people as well that come from um, places of privilege and the like there as well playing these characters as well for fun and for money and for essentially their own benefit there yes. as well so I think with someone like Sean uh, with someone like Ben Zeitlin who did Beast of the Southern Wild as well he really struck a really profound note casting these first-time actors within the role as well. And I know he got in on, into um, within that movie as well with, um, and I hope I say this correctly, Quavan Janae Wallace, um, a casting of a very young child within the role. He got into a lot of flack, particularly when she was Oscar nominated and was the youngest yes. um, lead actress nominator that nominated there. Um, with regards to her filming her um, within um, playing, and people were saying, well, that's not acting. That's incorrect as well. But I think it's in the role of the filmmaker in that regard where they can capture um, and they can speak to that authenticity in the role and really piece it together as well. So my first choice, Beast of the Southern Wild, I think that ties in really well with regards to um, Baker's um, choosing of Mooney within the film as well, who also essentially has that free range living style as well, where she's um, active to go out and about as she chooses. Absolutely. I love this pick because as you said, because um, I think even Brooklyn Prince who played Mooney um, was getting Oscar buzz around her. And she was only like a six, seven year old at the time. Um, yeah. And I think the Beast of the Southern World, I think he was able to create this amazing fantasy world of um, Hush Puppy um that yeah, she kind of lived in in the in the bayous and then the storm came in and just completely decimated uh, the katrina i think it was katrina um came in and decimated exactly. everything um and it's just this um, yeah but the, the sort of fantasy world which again mooney has as well in the florida project and i know both films have been criticized for being poverty porn um which yep. i wanted to ask your, your views about because i think it and i think it's very much in how a person views this movie and sean baker 
really likes to i haven't seen red rocket yet which i need to get onto oh lindsay um, <laughs> you will it is phenomenal this, oh. this is the i'm so glad that we struck on florida project too yeah. as well because all i wanted to do for the past eight weeks is speak about um red rocket my goodness yeah i mean the trailer as soon as i saw the trailer i'm like i'm seeing that and then i saw it was two and a half hours and for some reason i'm gonna hold off um, which i don't know why because oh, usually a length of a movie doesn't bother me um because i just saw drive my car and that's like three hours of very like uh, circulation in your legs um yes <laughs> you need to, movie, isn't it? You, yeah you need to kind of move you need to sort of stretch and move around with that movie so i don't know why i read rocket for suddenly the two and a half hours was a problem but um no i i really need to see that that movie because he just loves taking people who um are down on their luck uh a very specific kind of poverty and but who will always create drama whereas that's not exactly what beast of the southern wilds um does um so yeah so since you're going beast of the southern wild i am actually going to go for another movie by another favorite director of mine i've loved everything i've seen um even though i'm probably not in the rush to see wendy and uh, lucy and wendy again great dog what's her name uh, lucy you're a sweetheart lucy where are you going going to alaska king salmon you going to work can't sleep here ma'am you can't sleep out here it's not allowed okay Fifty dollars. You can pay your fine now, or you can come back for a trial with the judge. I don't. I don't, I don't live here. I'm, I'm just passing through. If you get stopped in another state, you're just going to end up right back here. But I love Kelly Reinhardt so much. Certain Woman, The Cow. It's just oh, first cow. It is just absolutely amazing. And essentially, Lucy and Wendy is about Michelle uh, Williams and her dog. Um, they're living in their car the car and it breaks down and when you have no money something like your car breaking down is the worst thing that can happen because then if you have because if you have no money to fix something then how do you get something fixed and if you're using the mm. money that you have to fix the car how do you feed your dog and it is um this quite beautiful movie that breaks my heart every single time i see it uh well i've only seen it once um but it broke my heart. It's but it's so beautifully done, and um, Kelly Reinhardt is one of my. I love her. Everything she does, like I, I instantly love. <laughs> and she's from Florida, actually. She's not a Oregon girl like I thought she would be. She was born. She was born and raised in Florida. <laughs> six. Uh, what is it? Six degrees of Kelly. Is it as well? And maybe not Kevin Bacon. We'll do it off Kelly now. <laughs> we'll do it off Kelly now. We have to do it off Kelly. <laughs> You'll find it connects everything. No, I, I, again, for the same reason that I'm keep rushing you into seeing Red Rocket, yeah. I really do need to see that movie as well because I've heard nothing but good things and I know it's um, a click away on movie. Yes, and you will just hug Ralph after you, uh, Ralphie, after you watch this movie uh, because... I didn't I didn't need a reason for that. But... <laughs> you don't need a reason to hug Ralphie. Um, but yeah. But it's... any I can find, I'll, I'll take it up. Yeah, um, but it's a gorgeous, gorgeous movie. Uh, what is your second uh, choice for The Florida Project? I've... Fabulous. So I think tying into Beast of the Southern Wild as well, um, and also just understanding Baker's style of mm. directing as well. So that idea of, um, I'll speak to the movie first as well. So I picked um, Oscar winning movie Nomad Land. Nomads. My mom said that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just. 
houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. My husband worked at the USG mine in Empire. I was a substitute teacher. It is a tough time right now. You may want to consider early retirement. I need work. I like work. Welcome to Badlands Spa. What the nomads are doing is not that different than what the pioneers did. So um, uh, Chloe Zhao's best picture winner from a few years back. So for a similar reason to Beast, actually what I'll first say is I'm really interested to see what Zhao would look like doing a documentary film as well. Mm. Her movies and the artistry within as well is taking these real life characters um, and showing their experience as well within a scripted format while also allow- allowing that movement in their film as well mm. for them to react and have a sense of play there as well. So to what your point before as well, and maybe we'll speak to this when we go through um, the Florida project, mm. whether or not it is appropriate to depict these stories as well, um, whether it is poverty porn, I think directors choosing to cast first-time um, actors within the role, actually choosing people from these communities um, in order to participate in stories that are belonging to their own. I find a lot more comfort than that. I think I think with what we'll chat through in Florida Project, I think I was a little bit more comfortable with Willem Dafoe's character in here than I, I think having someone like Francis McDormand in a film like that, that kind of took it out, took me out of it a little bit as well, like her profile. It and I, and that's well. not to say that Willem, mm. it's not to say Willem Dafoe isn't a superstar. <laughs> of course <laughs> he is. Um, I, but there was something about that film in particular, I can't really pinpoint, mm. that really took me out every time I saw McDormand playing someone that lived in, in her vehicle of sorts, traveling and struggling. So I think, I don't know, it's something that didn't work as well. But I think having that environment around it, having that natural light, um, and allowing that really strong sense of scene as well. I think it positioned it really well within there as well, as opposed to someone like uh, some, who's a very popular, uh, very popular director, um, <laughs> someone very famous, Spielberg. Why not doing yeah. something like that? Maybe it doesn't work as well. But I think combining that element of natural with the fictional um, creates something very human. So I think that feels a bit more appropriate than essentially just casting very beautiful people within a movie and telling them to act poor. Yes, which has been done over and over and over again. There's something about just living in that world. Um, no, I get the criticism a little bit more with, say, Nomad Lab because I don't know what it is about. I think as we'll get into with Florida Project, Willem Dafoe is not part of the community. He is taking care of them um, and he's kind of works with them, but he's not necessarily part of it where Francis McDormand is meant to be this um, intransit character. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, I was just talking about Kelly Reihardt's movie, uh, Lucy and Wendy, and uh, Michelle Williams is a beautifully, beautiful actor, act, actress, and she can, and she's an amazing actor, but um, she's not, doesn't necessarily looks like, normally looks like someone who'd be living out of their car. Um, and kind of you look at Frances McDormand and go, you're in Fargo, you're married to a Cohen, you do not have to live in a van, whereas everyone around her does. Um, but I think what I did like about No Man Land is Chloe Zhao's kind of connection to the landscape that she's always talking about. Again, with that natural mm-hmm. light, with um, really able to kind of study the faces of those kind of around her. 
um so no there's a lot to like in nomadland even though i may have some issues with it but that's just i don't know why just because france mcdormand kept pulling me out of the movie i don't know why i agree i think you summed it i think you perfectly summed mm. it up to as well where it is something a little bit jarring as well because i thought the movie was very good as well mm. but i think to that point there as well Whereas Willem Dafoe's character is somewhat of a hero with this, a working class hero of sort. We'll, we'll get into it as well. Yeah. But I think your point there as well, where she is the actual person that is impoverished for that reason as well. Mm. It's kind of like, eh, it kind of doesn't work in this world in the setting that may have been, uh, that has been set up by Xiao as well. But Nomadland, my second choice as well. Again, is a big shift. Um, well, it's not a big shift as well, but it's great to see um, filmmakers, which are in particularly Baker as well, who has done it for all his films as well. Yes. I think like the other point that like the thing that strikes me as well for this movie is um, the Dallas, what is it called? The Dallas Buyers Club? Yes. That's oh it. yeah, I still haven't um, seen that one. Yeah. Okay. I mean, well, oh, that is the, oh, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, but that's definitely Matthew McConaughey losing all the weight for the role, wasn't it? It's, it's like the idea of method acting being this, um, <laughs> this <being laughs> for that one as well. But I think like Sean Baker, actually does cast transgender people in roles for particularly for transgender stories mm. um i think that's kind of one of the most gla- glaring things as well where it looks at kind of this shift in paradigm where they actually came out at both t- like similar times as well but the direction of kind of like what's stopping in terms of casting hollywood in these films about everyday people mm. um versus the more artistic movement that is happening as well which i personally find to be a bit more appropriate yeah and go yeah. Sean Baker for doing it, leading the charge in that. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it's. I think it's better for it. And uh, for my final trailer, I'm just going, I, I, let's just go with your exploitation. Just because I think uh, Florida Project has had that term flung on it, though I don't think it is um, at all. Well, not in the sense of an exploitation movie. That is Bloody mm. Birthday from 1981. 1970, three children were born during a total eclipse of the sun. Now, ten years later, they share a terrible compulsion to kill, and no one can stop them. If they decide they don't like you, watch out. The children will stop at nothing to get a deadly murder weapon. And anyone can be their victim. Which is just literally about killer kids. They are born on the same day under an eclipse. Therefore, they are evil. Therefore, they spend the whole movie going after different people. It's 1981. It's the height of the slasher. It's It's got nothing more to say than, hey, look at these creepy kids. Um, and, yeah, it's a whole host of fun. And I think it'd just be a great trailer. It's not a, my favorite slasher, but, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'll have to check it out again. Yeah, it's very, it's very fun. Like it's like you're just watching it. And there's a couple of good kills in there, especially with a, I think it's a keyhole um, in there. And but it is very very ludicrous. Um, I mean, Jose Ferreira's in it because he was in every grimy movie from the early '80s. But yeah, no, that is my um, final trailer. And within that, we are going to get into Sean Baker's uh, Florida Project. Okay, I warned you. One drip and you're out. Oh come on! Out now. It's gonna melt. It's mountain inside, too. But Bobby... Out. Thank you very much. You're not welcome! The man who lives in here gets arrested a lot. These are the rooms we're not supposed to go in. But let's go anyway. Could you give us some change, please? The doctor 
doctor said we have asthma and we gotta eat ice cream yeah. right away. Here you go. Hey, Lee, we got a situation here. Open up. It's only second week of the summer, and there's already been a dead fish in the pool. We're trying to get it back alive. Water balloons thrown at tourists. Boobies! Boobies! I failed as a mother, Moni. You yeah, Mom, <laughs> you're a disgrace. No, I know I saw this. Actually, I can't remember when I saw this. Did you see this when this came out, or was it a few years later? I did. I Well, so this was the first Sean Baker movie that I ever saw, so... Mm -hmm. um, Heard good things about it, um, got on the tram down to Cinema Nova and I remember seeing it at a packed cinema as well. I remember just being gobsmacked by it afterwards. My goodness, what a movie. Uh, yeah, I think I saw it like the next, oh, it might have been when it, I'm just trying to remember, I think when it was came on streaming because it was getting, Willem Dafoe was nominated for an Oscar. It felt like this movie had come out of nowhere even though he had seen, made The Tangerine and another movie, um, which I saw, well, I saw Tangerine later. And mm. sitting there and just kind of, okay, it's about this hotel. And then realizing, oh, yeah, these all aren't actors. Or if you take in the case of Bria, I'm going to butcher her name, Vienta. Um, uh, I was actually just looking this up as yeah. well. So there is a pronunciation, which I don't even want to try and butcher. Venetia. Um, but if we, say, yeah. if we say Bria, I think that will save us um, some possible embarrassment saying her name incorrectly. Yes, she's a Lith she's a born in Lithuania or somewhere like that. So it's um, a name I'm just going to butcher and she's very good in this. But realizing this is Bria's first movie um, and then having that kid, um, the Brooklyn princes and those other kids um, in it is just, you're just watching it going, I love those kids, but at the same time, I want to get those kids out of there. But that's probably going to do more harm than good. It's a, it's a, Florida Project is a tightrope of a movie. And that I think exactly. Sean Baker just crosses perfectly. It could descend into poverty porn. It could descend into pure exploitation, but it never does because it's really funny. And you do actually fall in love with the kind of the, um, cast of characters that are around everyone that or the main the main main actors i should say no i agree so um his movies are very hard to come by as well so mm. unfortunately i've only been able been lucky to see um tangerine red rocket and of course the florida project mm. i keep an eye out every time nova the likes of anything like that does a retrospective of his um that does become a little bit expensive having to go out and see it as well but like his previous efforts are so hard to come by so i can only really go by hearsay from what i've heard from it mm. um but essentially like to your point as well i think he strikes a really he toes the line quite nicely um with regards to telling these really human stories um particularly about sex workers which is a lot of what and, and working class americans mm. Um, but he does so in a way that's really non-judgmental. I think that's such a key part to him as well. And having listened to a few interviews with him as well, he's so respectful to people who are doing it tough as well. I don't think he goes into it saying it is like calling them battlers or the likes of that. Like he's really interested in looking at the hardships they go by, their flaws and all. Um, but I think he does so not in a way to really condemn people as being awful, but yes. it's more so as well the system around them that really puts them into this position and how easy it is for the wealthy or the likes of that to really scorn. And then you essentially end up with these subsections of society where it is people who are really, not really by their own choosing, I would say as well, 
thrown into these worlds as well that essentially exists on the fringe um, as opposed to um, the other society that earns all the money as well. So I really, really like he captures these depictions. I think he does so not in a way where it is just um, voyeurism in that regard as well, where you gain pleasure from watching someone struggle as well. I think he really captures what it's like to be those people as well. And he does so in a way that's not to mock, laugh or um, feel better about yourself as well. No, no, I don't think he does. Uh, because what I love is he goes into the system of how living in a hotel like the Mag Magic Castle actually works. Like you have to, you can't stay in the hotel for one month, uh, one day out of the month or something like that. So they actually yep. have to go find another place to stay for the night, then they come back because otherwise then they're a permanent, which changes what the hotel is. Um, or how they have to maybe swap rooms occasionally or that kind of thing. But it's not like exposition it's just you just see them happening in their daily lives because the movie is very very episodic and so that does make them very transient people these aren't people with a steady home let alone steady jobs steady income steady anything they essentially are homeless um because mm -hmm. they don't have a this is where i stay um and it's done very very um subtly you see people moving around coming in and out all that kind of thing um and he does the same thing in tangerine when you said he's not going in there to mock, he's not going in there to show how he's not calling them battlers. He's not calling them anything else. And you see this in Tangerine as well. These are just people and how they live their lives. And I love the woman in Tangerine because he's like, Oh, you have no idea what it's like to be a, a transsexual sex worker. Um, and the, and he captures their personalities beautifully. And it, and the fact that he's filming it on an iPhone, you just follow them around and he does that. He's filming a follow-up project on 35mm, which feels like something he would have preferred to do from the get-go. But when the yeah. girls are running at the end into Disney World, it's on an iPhone. And um, it, it it works. And I love how he's he's got this curiosity about him that he's not... That I think a lot of... Um, Filmmakers, I mean, yeah, I don't. I think Chloe Zhao is not necessarily as interested in the people that she's filming, but she's more interested in the landscape of what it's like to be a nomad. Sean Baker is more, way more interested in how these people just get through the day, and you see that in these little, just so many examples, um, especially with uh, Bria's character, Haley. Um, who watching it this time, I sort of realized, oh, she has the same emotional intelligence as her six-year-old daughter, um, which kind of makes her an even sadder figure because she had to grow up so quick that she never grew up it just the way they talk and you can see Mooney just um because she's a six-year-old just repeat what her mother says and it's an often you're not my dad <laughs> which she actually even yep. says once in the movie which i love um every time someone tr tries to tell her what to do she flings the authority back on her fa their face and like a kid um and i loved that about Haley is because I, I just mentioned you before we recorded I watched uh, Good Time and even though you can tell the main Rob, Robert Pattinson is doing everything he does because this is what he's learned throughout his life and he's never had a break before but he brings everything on himself I don't feel the same about Haley I feel that Haley just has things happen to her and she just never knows how to react or if she does it's a tantrum I was going I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there um he, he, like a lot of his lead characters as well, because you can see this through Tangerine and also mm -hmm. Red Rocket as well, where 
it's these characters that aren't really adults they're more so children that are um, <laughs> symptoms of the system as well yeah. with regards to that I think we all know at that like we've all known a Haley as a child as well oh, yeah. um, so it's exactly who is the guardian of both of them as well and that really leans into like she's essentially comes across as a big sister in certain likes as well like mm. in all good Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, she's essentially feels more of a big sister role as well. And I think that like the most devastating thing apart, uh, like about the movie as well is her um, irresponsibility. I don't know if that is the correct word with money. Mm. Uh, oh, you can yeah. just see when she has it and she just spends it all straight away as well. Like that restaurant scene, I think, is the most heartbreaking scene of the whole movie where it's just so painful to watch, where she lets her anger take control as well. Like she doesn't know how to prevent that. She doesn't have that thing in her head that says, I'm angry, stop, or yes. uh, take it. She just can't let go of it as well. Like she mm. doesn't have the maturity or the um, the tools in herself to be able to cope to that. Mm. And I think that really brings out a really strong performance too, not only in the in Haley and Mooney as well, mm. but in also particularly for Willem Dafoe's character and that um, I know when he talks, all I can hear is Green Goblin. I don't know about you. Yes. Um, he, he can be in he can he can be in anything as well, but it's just such that gravelly yeah. um, that gravelly voice as well, where I just hear it in everything that he does as well. But I think like casting in an, an actor like him as well, who he's probably the only first non actor, uh, sorry, the, the only non first time actor within the movie as well. Mm. I think what makes his performance so special is. He captures this rough and gentle side in his performance as well, where he is essentially the father figure to both the girls in the movie as well. Um, it, does he always discipline them in that regard? Does he let them push the boundaries and get away with a lot of it? Yes, mm-hmm. he yeah, does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think at the time, like with a with a filmmaker like Baker as well, like I think that theme of judgment is such a key thing to his movies as well because it's easy to add in two cents. It's easy to look at this and say it's poor. But like it's, it's so important to look at the experiences of these people as well and understand what tools do they have available in order to navigate their lives as well and why that might be the case as well. Um, I think it would be remiss of us to not talk about his style of film as well in terms of the visual look in his yes. films as well. As you mentioned before as well, he has that really gorilla style with the iPhone as well, mm. which is my favourite thing about Tangerine. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, uh, let alone his uses and again this kind of leads back to Xiao as well like his use of his fashion his fascination with twilight and like the sun setting oh, yeah. um, it's a really key motif and also these really wide landscapes with like the, um, the American industrial side leaning, leaning in the background as well mm. I think I really struggle to think of a filmmaker um, that has such a strong sense of um, strong sense of place in their films as well, where he has this really, really distinct style. Um, I don't know about you, Lindsay, as well, but I get a really old school French um, Dubai vibe from him in terms of these really bright contrasting colours. Yes. Um, that, that lingers as well. But it also, like a lot of the time as well, it feels like there's these really gaudy colour scheme to his movies, these really vibrant um, pastel colours. But a lot of the time I get this kind of feel that they used to really paint over situations as well, like particularly the castle, the, mm. the castle in that film as well. A really old school looking building in that regard that's quite painted this really loud colour in that regard. And I think that theme really ties into the Florida project where you really are trying to pretty up quite a really unfortunate set of circumstances as well. And to do so, they do it in this really 
um, blinking colour essentially in that regard as well. So love his style, love his look, love his feel to the movie as well. And I think that sense of scene really plays to a place like Orlando as well, where it is like you drive down the streets and you actually see nonstop signs. Um, the shops as well, where they're decorated after um, mm. oranges and wizards and the likes of that mm. as well. It's this really kind of loud looking scene as well. And I think he does a really good job in like having that sense of place um, really felt in his movies. Absolutely, because in the yeah, as you said, this movie is so gaudy. It's all kind of these bright, gaudy colors that kind of catch the eye against this this swamp land in this industrial kind of area of um, Orlando. And so loud, <laughs> yeah, it's very so loud. And um, and then the camera is constantly following the cam the the people. So them walking around, especially the kids when they're just mm-hmm. trotting along down the freeway or one of the freeways. I think it's actually just a street. I don't think it's a freeway um where it has all these stores and they know where they can get ice cream because they beg you know can i have some money to you know a few uh thing of change so i can get one ice cream between three of us and that kind of thing you see these tiny little kids just wandering past these massive um massive buildings that are just oversized and over bloated and it just says so much um about how vulnerable these kids are and i know i grew up in an age where I was able to wander around with my friends. Like as long as you're back before mm-hmm. nightfall, no issue. Um, but you, now you watching- You get $5 dollars and be told to go down to the store and um, get fish and chips or whatever you exactly. like. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then it... like they just say, yeah, just call us when you're at your friend's place or not even that as well. Just be back by mid- uh, before yeah. it's dark. Yeah, pretty much. And, but now watching, as I'm older, watching those kids do that exact thing where, yeah, I would have totally gone and wandered around a bunch of abandoned buildings as a kid if, they, if that was happened to be there. That would have been awesome. Don't know if I would have set it on fire, but, you know, <laughs> circumstances. Um, but watching those kids do that, all I can think is all the danger that they're in. Um, even when that, God, that pedophile looks like he's just walked out of the goddamn family guy. I just, it's, um, oh he, when he comes up and starts talking to the kids and all of a sudden, uh, Defoe clocks him and it's that kind of reminds you no these kids aren't living in this amazing fantasy which they've kind of built around themselves whether to protect themselves or the fact that just have the freedom to be able to do these things it's um it reminds you oh no no there's there's some dodgy stuff out there these kids maybe should not be as left alone and it's kind of um he, uh, uh, Will and Defoe was the father figure because there's no one else is going to be to these people. And it's not just the kids, it's Haley, it's the residents, it's um, the fact that they rely on him so much. They will verbally abuse him till the cows come home, but at the end of the day, they know that they need him. Um, and he's wants to help them, which I think is why he's such a great character because I don't know if even I would have the, I don't know if I would have the patience to be able to run that hotel. I think I'd just be swearing at the <laughs> back. And he has so much patience um and so much kind of and lets them have their dignity or their non-dignity especially in Haley's case um that it's kind of it's kind of an amazing performance and I think the fact that he is an established actor that he is um kind of Willem Dafoe you know his face instantly and he sounds like instead of saying I'll get that washing machine fi- fixed next week he really should have said I'm something of a scientist you know um and it still would have mm-hmm. worked um, but you buy it so much more because he is literally the only adult in the room. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, no, I 100%, I 100% agree with you. I personally find that he was robbed of the Oscar that year as well. I and I think agree. to that point, is, I think to that point, it was the Sam Rockwell, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was because it came out the same year. 
yes, it was Sam Rockwell, which was a good performance, but I'm just like, oh, come on. It's, that should have been Defosier. <laughs> To be, to be honest as well, I think like when we do talk about those movies that may potentially, like I personally have issues with the Three Billboards movie as well. I yes. think um, to the point before where we are talking about like really tragic experiences and potentially being exploited for entertainment purposes as mm -hmm. well. Um, especially as well with Rockwell's character in that movie where you do look at um, him essentially being a crap person being turned into good and leading the wrong uh, going from wrong to right i yes. don't think that really holds up before in films as well so i think that's essentially something that also both movies feature um caleb landry jones as well um, fortunately <laughs> enough it was a good year for him as well but um yeah to to your point there as well like we do really don't see any adults within this movie mm. um aside from um defoe as well and i think that really soft and hard um performance from him as well was really really deserving of an oscar that year really uh, i'm a little bit biased for what what's your favorite defoe um do we want to go favorite defoe performance or favorite defoe movie oh god there's so many um i do love him in this movie i think it's is actually is one of his best just because i think he can just Agreed. be quiet um and um thing um i tend to Dun, dun, dun. Um, I do love him in. I'm, I'm picking his main earlier movies. I do love him in the Lighthouse, just because I think he can go full yep. thing. Um, I do love him as Norman Osborne. Um, I still haven't seen The Last Temptation of Christ. Um, oh yeah, he was in The Grand Budapest. That's right. He works with. Um, sorry, I'm just going through his movies. Um, God, he's in everything. Um, I'm every surprised single... you didn't Shadow of the Vampire as well. I, like, oh, I'm not even. Shoot. I'm not even that big of a horror fan as well, but like his performance and that was like really, really stuck with me as well. Like it's been it's been a little while since I've seen the movie, but I remember being absolutely terrified by it. Yeah, why is it down the right down the bottom of his like body of evidence is above goddamn Shadow of the Vampire? I'm I'm insulted. <laughs> um, no, the him and Shadow of the Vampire is uh, amazing. It's the way he kept his Mac Shrek, uh, I think it's Shrek, um, is absolutely amazing and that whole movie is one of the best how do you make a movie movies that happens just to involve the the um the vampire <laughs> killing the cinematographer it's like oh i needed him <laughs> uh, oh sorry go ahead oh no i just saying i love it yeah <laughs> he, he is such a like duality to him as well where he is really really this kind soul as well and you can see him being approachable for that but then he's menacing like he can get that voice down so deeply his eyes go from um puppy dog to essentially guard dog in the matter of two seconds as well it really can't like um there's a thing online when he's talking about his best roles and all he says and we had a good time <laughs> No matter, no matter if he's like making Antichrist, which is um, a movie I still haven't finished because uh, I was so disturbed, um, <laughs> or whether it's um, Osborne in Spider-Man 2. Um, he's actually also really good in Mississippi Burning, which is very much a, yes, I know it's a white savior movie, but um, it's, I mean, he's in Boondog's sakes being weird. I mean, this guy is just, every the first movie I remember him seeing it, I know he's been in earlier, but it was... Um, Oh god, now I can't even remember it. Um, <laughs> Walter Walter Hill movie with the singing, and he's um, anyway. He he kind of looks like he appeared like a swan, like he was just fully formed with his weird face, um, and he was just Willem Dafoe. Like there doesn't seem to be like this period of oh, you see him learning his craft. He just sort of walks in and goes, 
and we had a good time. <laughs> it is Streets of Fire? Streets of Fire, that's it. I was like, what? God damn, I've done an episode on it and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have, I haven't I haven't seen that one, so I'll definitely have to check it out. Yeah, it's it's a, it's really fun. We had, they had a lot of fun, obviously, making it. Uh, what are your some of your favourite uh, Willem Dafoe movies? Well, I was going to say as well, I dare not speak too much about horror movies to the person who is the doyen of horror movies here in <laughs> Melbourne as well, but... I would have to just definitely say Shadow of a Vampire as mm. well. I remember just watching that and just being absolutely terrified from it as well. Mm. Uh, I'm so eager to rewatch it again as well, but it's one of those tricky ones that kind of gets released and it hides away for a long period of time as well. So definitely that, definitely Florida Project as well. Like Sean Baker is really, really up there for me as well. Mm. And I really think there's not, I can't think of another actor that really could have turned out a performance like he had um, and made it his own in that regard. So Big props to that for um, old Defoe. Yeah, no, he's he's kind of amazing. Um, I think he, yeah, he's he's kind of incredible. And every time he's on the screen, um, he's incredible. I mean, he's really good in Platoon, um, playing kind yeah. of the angel captain um, in or the one who dies like like Jesus in that famous. Um, <laughs> I still need to see um, uh, Passion of the Christ. Yeah. Um, but he's just, he was just, one of, again, one of those solid actors. Like I'm just going through his IBDM and I'm like, oh yeah, he was in that. He was in that. Whether he's playing a more of a bigger role like he does in Shadow of the Vampire or whether it's like two minutes, like he was in for a few moments in the beginning of Nightmare Alley when yeah. he kills it. I mean, his, ah, um, geek he was joke, his, yeah, his geek, um, well, that's a stacked cast, but his geek speech is incredible. And, mm. um, all this kind of thing and then you've got something like antichrist like he's not he's not scared to do like the most shockiest movie and then he'll go and do this movie which he's giving a really great performance in and i don't know if he's one of those method actors um or what but he's just he's most of the movies you think of defoe he's not being calm and this movie he is just so calm he's not relaxed you can tell that the character's stressed because he's got a lot I mean, this job should not take up as much of his life as it does, but he's got to care for these people. Yeah, and he does. 150. Yeah, um, but uh, uh, he's oh, great. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think I really love the motif in the movie as well, like um, within Florida Project to speak about the helicopters. Uh, I was going to so I was doing a bit of a read of it as well. Mm. Um, apparently they worked that into the film because of the location there was actually set up next to a helicopter depot. I don't know if that's the word. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, it, but essentially helicopters kept going on during the filming of the movie as mm. well. So they decided a way to really work it into it as well. But no, I think it's like a really, really, like I remember first seeing the film as well and I was so taken by this idea of the helicopter within it as well. Like what does it mean in in that regard does it look at um these people's lives being disturbed by people who were taking helicopter trips to look at disney does it add to um that depiction there as well whereas they get trampled on essentially by the wealthy in that um that regard there as well these people who are essentially pushed into the fringes of this like idyllic paradise land as well that they essentially strive to attend to um or in that regard as well does it really refer to having a presence look over at some point in time as well like a lot of the times when that helicopter um sound is portrayed in the movie as well it's a lot of the times it is with defoe in place there as well i kind of wondered to myself as well when they play it is defoe out somewhere near there looking over them in that mm. regard as well where it's not there as well so no i think it's like i think it's such a i haven't seen anything like that before as well where that is used as a um 
uh, refrain throughout the movie as well. So very props to Sean Baker for that regard as well, because I think it's quite powerful in its use. It really is, because I always saw it as just the fact that they are constantly surrounded by wealth. I love the idea of actually it's someone watching over them, that this unlimited thing that's kind of also with Defoe, because you're right, he's around often when the helicopters are. But I always sort of saw it as this kind of idea that there's wealth all around these people because mm. this new world is just a money factory and the fact that helicopters are near which yeah they can just go up and take tours these people who can afford it and these people literally have nothing they are staying in this gaudy hotel that has bed bugs mold they have nothing no property ever, they have no property at all um they are essentially this community of homeless people um, and there's this constant buzz of the helicopters um around them just to show that oh everyone else has money you don't, you don't get to have any. Mm. Um, and it's not through people who are wanting to work hard or anything like that. It's just, that's where you are because when you get behind, it's really hard to try and get a footing. And if you're in a position probably like Haley was, I mean, I love the fact that no one has backstories. No, you never hear Haley's um, tragic background. Mm. She is what she is and you can only infer what someone like that must have gone through as a child. Um, and you may get a hint that it's maybe what Moon ha is happening to Mooney, but at the same time, you don't know that. So Haley's just this kind of force of energy that just appears right in front of you. It's usually screaming at you for some reason. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, as we've said before, she's so quick to anger. And I do love that restaurant scene. There's two, actually, that I love. Oh. The one at the <laughs> end when she's just looking at a kid going, oh, it's all going to come crumbling down. I don't think I can keep you i don't think i'm going to be allowed to keep you much longer um yeah you, you can tell the time is waning at that point can't you yeah she, she knows she's she defeated knows. in that regard yeah she's defeated she knows that she can't um that it's something's bad is going to happen and her daughter's going to be taken away um and the look on her face is just oh god and poor moon is just eating strawberries like this is great i'm like oh god this is heartbreaking. Um, and the scene when she's in, trying to annoy her friend who she's angry. And it's this great uh, thing between her, Haley Styling as a mother, and I think it's Ash, the character's called Ashley, who knew her son just committed arson and went, this is not good. Where there's, mm -hmm. um, uh, Haley's taking photos of <laughs> a very upset Mooney outside the house that's burning down. I love the arson scene so much. Um, it's, 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 a per it's perfect cinema. <laughs> The, like, I think like the interesting, like, and what I really like the movie, and I think this is what also ties it back to something like Beasts of the Southern Wild as well. Mm. When you're a child, you don't really know that you're poor. Um, no. That is very much her experience as well. She is seeing, and I think with Beasts of the Southern Wild, they described um, their, their community as essentially this rust bucket paradise yes. castle, essentially, mm. which is very similar as he, all she does, she doesn't see, um, like she, like you can see her actually explain to her new friend Jancy in the movie as well, the inhabitants of the location as well. Yes. And she described these really people hurt by society, dealing with addiction, dealing mm. with oppression, dealing with the violence, dealing with um, issues related to prison and the likes of that too as well. But she does so in such a way that is so detached from it as well. Like mm. um, you can, and even as well, like Sean, like the one of the scenes that I really appreciated in this movie as well, and it happens quite often is when the food truck comes into the area mm. and you see um, Mooney pushed to the front of the line and you see um, Bobby, who was Willem Dafoe's character, speak to the people and tell them that they have to move because it's a bad look. 
But all you can actually see is the perspective of Mooney, where she sees and hears all this stuff as well, but it doesn't register to it, which shows the experience of being a child. Like, I think, yeah, to that one. So I think that's a really strong um, and a great depiction done by um, Sean as well, where, sorry, pardon me, um, where... I think that captures that truth really well. Like you, you see fun, you see going out with your friends, you see being essentially available to do whatever, but times have changed as you mentioned before as well. And it's um, yeah, not really the best of times is it for that? No, um, but she, that does happen constantly throughout the movie. She's always distracted by something else. Like when the night they can't stay in the hotel, which is normal for Mooney, she knows that their stuff has to go to a different room and then she, they have to bugger off for a night and her mother's screaming at the other people in the hotel, she's just dancing to a music video, which is such she's a- She's excited. Kid... Yeah, it's it's such a kid thing to do though. I mean, there are some moments when she does register after the fight with the um, with the John, after she's, you can tell that she's stolen those bracelets off him. Um, it's like, she goes, oh, do, do we, she's watching TV, but you can kind of tell that she's listening. And then, but all she wants to know is if they have to move again. So it's kind of, she does know there's upheaval, but at the same time, she's in this kind of make-believe fantasy place, which is what you do when you're six years old. Um, and I love when they're in the house, and the, one of the, I think Scooty goes, "This houses are two hundred years old." Um, <laughs> it's this these kids. All it is is the kids playing, um, and yes, sometimes their play can be spitting on a car. But again, you <laughs> think back to when you're six years old, you did destructive, dumb shit as well. Um, but, and then they go, kids are, kids are gross, aren't they? <laughs> kids are gross and just so fluidy and disgusting. And yeah. And then just when Scooty's like, what are you doing? Breaking the wall. <laughs> it's good luck. I don't know. There's things the kids say I absolutely, um, love. And it goes, oh, what are you breaking? The wall. Good luck. And then they decide to set the pillow on fire. And then the next thing you see is them running down the street going, oh no um it's the way the kids are filmed and the way that because i know yeah i think brooklyn prince did get oscar buzz for this and they were saying well she's six and i think what sean baker was able to do was just go okay play in front of the camera what do you think you'll do how would you ask people for money um no no you can talk back to adults they they're not going to do anything to you so you can call them or or where does she learn that from too as well like you can actually see that in her mother as well and the the impact on how mooney learns from those that are with her she mimics her all the time. There's movements you can see her doing that are totally what her mother does, um, which is I absolutely love. But yeah, she's essentially playing most of the time. The only time I think she really has to, that I think they're trying to push a performance out of her is when she finds out that she's going to be taken away. And that is the heartbreaking thing of all. I'm like, how do they get that kid to cry like that? I mean, you sound heartbroken. Um, And it's, yeah, I mean, I love when she's kind of meeting her new friend and she's just taking her around the hotel going, this is where you're not supposed to go in here, but let's have a look in here. We're going in anyway. Um, she's such it's, a little... The, rea- the reality is what you choose to see it as a child though, isn't it? It is. And you don't always understand what the adults are talking about. And I love all the things of these adult conversations like, oh yeah, can you tell them the truck to, the, the van to move back because it's not a good look to have a, a food um, bank truck in, in the parking lot of a hotel even though tourists are not staying at this hotel. It's, um, mm-hmm. I- And really, if they are, it's by mistake. <laughs> it's by mistake. That scene when those that couple comes to the hotel, I'm like, oh my God, would I be that person? Like, would I show up to this hotel and go, oh no, no, no. Um, 
but I she calls them gypsies as well. Like yeah. that is quite an offensive thing to say. It's really offensive, and but you just sort of want because that in terms of something that's related, I'm like, oh my god. Hopefully, if that if I booked a wrong hotel. I would never be like that. But at the same time, I'd be like, I'm not staying, which is an awful thing to say because this is someone's mm -hmm. home. This is where they live. This is their community. And for me to come in and go, I'm not staying here, um, would be a reaction to a lot of people that I can't say I wouldn't do. Hopefully I wouldn't call them uh, gypsies. Hopefully I would be a bit more respectful. But it's just, yeah, it's, it's such an awkward scene to watch because I think you know that that would be somewhat of your reaction to it um coming to this place where people are scared living. you're scared. afraid yeah you're afraid because you don't uh, violence is completely normalized i mean the whole scene when um there's a fight in the car parking but the uh, fight in the car, uh, car park and the cops show up and willing defoe's own reactions okay yes i will not let people run over other people in the car park it's gotten to the point <laughs> where this is every day <laughs> And like the people are so normalized to it as well. And they're seeing this as entertainment as well, which yes. I think is a theme that's very common in his movies mm -hmm. as well. Um, what was I just about to say there? Um, to the point as well, like the, the idea of that fear as well, whereas people see these people as an underclass essentially as well, um, like has been such a strong theme within his movies as well. But when you actually look at the day-to-day -day life of these people as well, they're really quite a, a diverse and close-knit community in a sense as well. Like, um, it, unfortunately, it comes through the expense of, like, we only really see this in terms of when they're sharing cigarettes with one another. But essentially, they share whatever they do have available. Jancy's grandmother as well. Um, oh, yeah. They obviously don't meet on great terms as well within that regard. But when needed as well, she looks after her and allows her to take, um, when she is in between homes at that point in time mm -hmm. as well, she allows her to stay in off one bedroom, small apartment, mm. um, and essentially gives everything to her, all the, like, not literally as well, but she takes after her and looks after her as well. So I think that's a very good thing in there to do that as well, where um, they essentially don't have a lot of poor people saying that they're poor nonstop as well, because mm. I don't think that's how people live as well. Like they recognize their circumstances as well. Um, but to do so, um, I think uh, I'm trying to remember where I heard um, this being used before as well, but I remember reading something, I think it may have been a tweet, which was describing um, uh, a scene in a movie as well, where someone um, wasn't aware of how much money that they had in their bank account and they went out somewhere to buy something. Mm. And then there was someone on Twitter who said, poor people know how much money is in their account. They wouldn't actually go out somewhere and essentially you live knowing a total and your number, your life essentially becomes a number based on this as well. You don't go out and not know how much money you have as well. And they think it's just something um, introduced by Hollywood essentially to kind of um, like make people feel sorry for people as well. Mm. So I think with something like Baker as well, I think he allows these people to exist um, within their own circumstances and their own means as well. And it's not done to really kind of imp like um, say, oh no, hard done by the likes of that as well. So that's something that I find really admirable with the film. No, I think you're right. I think even when I was in my early twenties, living on my own and not having much money, I always knew, was I still know generally what's in my exactly. bank account. Cause I'm so used to going, okay, do I have enough money for this? Okay, I know I'm good um it's because you have to because the one thing you don't want to show is oh i can't afford the six things i want at the supermarket um you know very much that you can afford a b and c 
Um, and I'm not, he was never in a situation where I lived in this kind of poverty, but I do like he does, there's a lot of people show poverty as either, uh, to use, as Bogan-esque, mm-hmm. as in you're the worst of society, or you are almost a saint for your poverty. And I think what Sean Baker does is he doesn't even do either of those. These are just people. Um, and you're right, he does show them as a community. They are very tight-knit um, yes, violence does happen. Yes, it can be entertainment. It is very desensitized. There's a lot of addiction. Um, there's a lot of, um, scary people in there as well, but at the same time, they will have, they are. That is a symptom of the circumstances they're into as well. Like, I think that that's a very important thing to mention as well. These like people are shown as being violent and alcoholics and the likes of that as well. But what does that connect to? What is that a, um, what is that like a comorbidity to? Yeah, it's not because you drank that you're in that situation. It's because you drink because you're in there already in that situation. There's no way out. And anyone who's kind of fallen back a little bit on bills or kind of whatever, it is so hard to get that back up. And imagine if you're starting with nothing. Um, it's kind of people sort of always like to say, oh, the poor are poor because they drink too much. No, the poor are poor because they have no money. And opportunity, they're opportunity. Same, opt, um, the, the same privileges that are um, endowed upon others. Exactly. And especially when Haley is at the, uh, I think there's a, it's a job center and she's going, well, the parks aren't going to hire me um, because the parks have a very specific image they want. They're not going to have any more tattoos or blue hair. She's not going to get, and plus she does swear, yell people every five seconds. Um, so she's not, so it's, which is just her, quite frankly, I think. Um, <laughs> I'd love to They're see so her close to the I, happiest place on earth as yeah. well. And I think that really speaks volumes to um, like major cities as well. Yes. And then having the areas near it as well, which don't benefit from the same economic impact as those areas do as well. Yes. So I think that's a really strong contrast in these movies. It really is. Trickle down does not work. It never has. Hmm. And you see it with this community who is living right next to one of the wealthiest enterprises on earth. And yet they are not going to be benefiting from this at all because they are not what the image of, um, which I think is a really smart thing. The fact that is right opposite that you can literally kind of see Disney world over in the distance and the fact that that's where it ends. Um, a lot of them. And in, sorry to speak about red rocket so much as well, mm-hmm. but like the parallel between that is also in that movie as well, where you look at the American industrial industry as well. Yeah. And essentially the, big corporate beast that essentially sustains the areas around it as well. So Disneyland being this picture perfect facade, um, what are the odds as well that a lot of their staff are people within those communities as well that they're they're potentially exploited for as well. So I think um, his perspective on the economy on that one is something that's very, very strongly composed. Mm. It's actually Strongly the, composed. I don't know if that's what I think he constructed it very well in that, that idea in his films. Well, he does that in Tangerine as well because you're following two sex workers. Um, and each, so therefore, each transaction they have has to, each, not transact, uh, every interaction they have has to be transactional because that is their job. That's Nature how they the survive. Beast. Nature of the Beast. Except when it comes to the two core friendship between, I can't remember their names, but the two women. Um, Cindy and the other name escapes me for the time being. Yeah, but they actually do have a genuine friendship. Yes, they may gossip. They're they sisters. may do a lot. They're sister. Oh, they're sister. Oh, I never. I did. Oh no, 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 sorry, 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 sorry. They're not actually sisters as well, but I mean, they they are. Together. Oh yeah, they're they, sisters. They are, they are fam- They are family. Essentially, they are family because you make in those communities you make your own family. You don't have the ones that you were kind of given. Um, and that is absolutely shown in um, Tangerine, and exactly. it's absolutely yeah, it's absolutely shown in. Um, 
Florida project. And I don't know how it's shown in Red Rocket, but there's got to be a sense of this because it's set in a small te- Arkansas or Texas town. Oh, sorry. My, my line just cut out there for oh, a second. I was just sort of, ask, yeah, I was just asking um, uh, where Red Rocket's set. It's Texas, isn't it? Correct. Yes. Yes. Um, how does the color scheme work? Because I've always imagined Texas is brown and he likes to use gaudy colors. <laughs> Uh, so it's the same, um, so similar to how it looks in all his movies as well. Yeah. Like you see a lot of Scots, uh, shots of sky in it. Yeah. So yeah. it's a little bit more grey tinged in this one as well, which mm. watching Florida Project again as well, he's really fascinated by these looks of like fires and like smoke coming through from the background as well, which I never really um, noticed as much until mm. re-watching everything as well. So um, with respect to the colour palette as well, like a lot of it is shot in interiors as well. Otherwise it's like streets, like street side um, highway. So I can't think of an actual distinct colour palette that he really has in the film. But yeah. I think one of the reasons for that too as well is, um, I don't know if you recall Tangerine, which is on SBS, by the way, everyone. So you yes. please do watch it if you haven't seen it. Also only goes great- for 80 80- Yes. Also a great Christmas movie, by the way. <laughs> yes. I completely forgot about that too as well. So if we want to argue that Die Hard's a Christmas movie, yeah. um, Tangerine is just as much as one. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I think that one's a little bit more real because it looks at like the hardships of life in that regard. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think that, I don't recall there being a really distinct color palette other than the really strong, vibrant cues being on a donut shop. Mm. Um, there's no donuts in Tangerine, uh, sorry, not Tangerine, in the Florida project, I don't think. I think oh. they replaced desserts with ice cream in that one. Okay. Um, I don't know about you as well in COVID times as well, but looking at people share ice cream, all I think at the, at the present time being is, yeah, that's that's not, the, the last two years have really um, radicalised us in terms of hygiene, right? Oh, yes, it has. Watching those kids share an ice cream in uh, Florida project, I'm like, oh, you need to be washed from head to toe now. You are just germ little gremlins i was just like oh my god um to those people who actually have ju- children during covid i applaud you because i i couldn't i couldn't do it because they, they they pick up germs everywhere <laughs> my goodness seriously they're beacons for it as well can i ask you Lindsay, as well so yeah. um i had a little bit of a read on the interestingly enough there was two like things that i um thought were interesting for this mm. apparently they wanted britney spears and miley cyrus um the studio were considering having them cast in the role as Haley. yeah um and that's very very interesting as well like i think like in terms of their portrayals as well like how i essentially interpret that is um that essentially these two pop star and female pop stars in mm. particular uh, musicians as well mm that essentially have had their reputations tarnished by tabloid media as well. Like essentially they are depicted as being mess. Um, And 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 it's very, I don't know if grateful is the right word to say Mm. as well. It's hopefully correcting um, the media's love of essentially slandering women and trying to capture them at rock bottom as well. Um, I wouldn't say perhaps Miley for that as well, but she essentially copped a lot of abuse as well, particularly during 2013 as well. Yes. Um, but, but Baker actually said that he didn't feel comfortable casting. Uh, like he said it would feel inauthentic casting them in that role. So I found that to be very interesting as well. And again, I think getting the first time actors into this as well is something that's very critical and key for him as well. So I found that note very, very interesting. Um, yes. 
I think as well the point that you just make with regards to like friend like friendship and like these real communities and sisterhoods one's mm. very interesting with her friend Ashley as well who yes. they were best friends as well I don't know essentially their background in here mm. I can only really assume that they maybe knew each other from um living within the motel and being mm. within um similar circumstances with regards to being confined there as well mm. but I'm interested in hearing your thoughts I read a few things on the internet who do you think called um, child services on um, Haley? I'm leaning toward Ashley, but it could have also been Defoe because mm. there are both two. Um, I mean, Ashley just to get revenge. And I think Ashley seems the more of a, com- not that Haley isn't a committed mother because you can tell she loves her daughter, but I think Ashley exactly. is more, um, I need a job, a steady job. I need, I can't provide for my kid, but I'm doing the best that I can. Um, and the fact that... Her kid witnessing mass violence too as well with regards to that as well and actually not wanting to put him in compromising situations exactly. also. Exactly. She's like really, she's really upset the fact that he was part, he did burn a ha- house down, even though the community loves it. They're like, yeah, burn that house down. And um, and I think Ashley is much, and uh, Ashley is much more concerned about her son's upbringing where there's Haley, as you said, is the big sister. She doesn't know how to take care of herself, therefore doesn't know how to take care of her kid in a way that um, will benefit Mooney in the long run. At the moment, Mooney's fine. She's got a big sister. She's, she doesn't um, sort of realize exactly where she fits into the social strata. She's sort of fine, but I think Mm -hmm. it might have longer lasting consequences on Mooney. Um, And the, and I think she's also, and also the fact that Haley bet the shit out of Ashley and Ashley's just like, oh, mm-hmm. screw you. Also, on the other hand, I think you can tell Willem cares about both of them, but he's really mm-hmm. concerned about Mooney. As soon as he goes, if you're working, who's taking care of Mooney? He's very kind of, uh-oh, this is a dangerous situation, especially after she he finds out that she's... Um, performing sex work. Performing sex work at the hotel. Um, he becomes mm. very, very concerned. And I love how the movie never shows that, but it only shows... Mooney in the bathtub listening to loud music. It's How haunting is that? That is haunting. And there are so many stories of kids who grew up like that. Their parents, their mother had to work. It was sex work. They're only in the hotel. They were in the bathroom. Um, and it's so, but it's haunting the fact that that's the only clue. And the fact with the bracelets, you get to actually what, and her taking photos of her in a bathing suit. But you only get the thing around it. You never see the actual act, which I like because you're, again, only seeing it from Mooney. She's fine. She kind of probably mm-hmm. knows there's a guy in there. She doesn't necessarily understand what that means yet. Um, so yeah, yep. I think it's one of those two who called uh, social services. Um, more likely actually, also- but Willem could have easily done it as well. There was another one as well. I, I leaned towards, I was chatting to my sister about this. She just yeah. watched it with me as well. We leaned towards actually, there's one line at the end where mm-hmm. um, he she actually says, um, also, I think it was her child, Scooty, that says um, she's being taken away. So it feels like a bit of a placement there as well. Yeah. But there was another one as well who said it was the gentleman um, who she stole the bands from as well, potentially trying to recuperate some of the damage or get re- some sort of twisted revenge there yes. as well. So. I, I love how it's ended on that open-ended front in that regard as well. Like you can see, hopefully it's a, like, yeah, whether it's a sign of um, uh, revenge, a sign of care actually from Defoe in mm. the most unfortunate of circumstances yes. where you need to use the power in place in order to protect Mooney in that regard as well. I really find that's quite a strong way of ending it. 
Yeah, exactly. But I also how love how you realize that taking her away isn't something they might have had to have done, but it's not necessarily the answer. Um, because they balls it up. As soon as Mooney realizes, oh, I'm not going away for a few hours, I'm going away to another family, that's when she's just like, nah, no, no, this is not happening. I'm not being taken away. Um, and the fact that she's such a little force of nature that even child services and the police don't know necessarily how to, because Mooney doesn't do well. I'm guessing like her mother, Mooney doesn't do well with rules and mm -hmm. boundaries, exactly. And boundaries. She knows none of them as she well. That was the them. thing that really stuck with me. <laughs> yeah, she, she doesn't know that she's never been taught them. Um, like Scooty has, I'm guessing her other, I can't remember the other little girl, adorable little girl. Yancy. Yancy, she kind of does because her grandmother will go, no, 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 this is it. But Mooney doesn't have that. Um, and I love unfortunately, that you see Jancy's kind of behavior decay though throughout yes. all of it. Yeah, as soon as, and you imagine the same thing happened with Scooty, is as soon as they start hanging out with her, their behavior just, they start yelling at people, their behavior starts really deteriorating. And you can see why parents are like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm not letting you hang out with this kid where there's all Moody wants as a best friend. Mm. Um, but the fact, the first thing Yancey does is like, no, we're running to Disney World. That's it. Come on. You're sad. I don't know how to, I, this, I need to make my friend not cry. Um, which is kind of the sign that this is your best friend. Like she's willing to break you into Disney World so they can't just, find that, you. Sister, that, that sisterhood theme as well. Like yeah. that is doing that movie as well. Yeah. And it might not survive another few months, especially because they will find it's just prolonging the inevitable. I mean eventually people are going to notice it might take 24 hours but they are going to notice these two girls at disney world alone um i, eventually, I had a read on the oh, oh sorry i cut you off yeah. there no you're good i had a read of the like again on imdb as well and mm -hmm. the actual um the distance between places within yeah. from where they're actually based compared to things like the um the diner where ashley works and also to disneyland as well it's mm -hmm. a lot further than it seems as well. Like uh, obviously the cuts yeah. between there as well, but um, they actually said like that what they expect the actual um, difference between there. So whether or not that is real, if that is actually based on existing and sorry to get rash, mm. um, to get logistical on this as well, <laughs> um, but when they were actually working at the distance with that, apparently if they were um, leaving from the um, the hotel motel. Mm um whatever it wants to be described mm. as as well apparently they'd be crossing highways and running up and down them as well so um whether they take some uh creative licensing on that or whether it is actually realism as well if yeah. it's realism they've done some real frogger activity trying to get across highways apparently. they really have those two six-year-olds could do it if any six-year-old could do it it'd be those two but um... oh, especially when they're um they're pepped up on jam and soft drink <laughs> yes <laughs> Uh, it's it's kind of incredible but yeah you're right it speaks to this kind of sister kind of thing of like no 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 i got your back you're not going to be taken away you, you will in the end because you're six years old and you unfortunately have no power over this situation at all um but i love those two girls so much yancy and mooney are just feral little creatures i think i would not have the patience for them if i saw them in real life but in a movie um i love them they are they are great they are ballsy i love if we all had the confidence Mooney has, <laughs> it would be just... It goes away, though, doesn't it, as it well? Does. Like, we don't have that sense of play anyway, as well. You, it gets, oh, sorry to sound like a um, feudalist here as well, but it really does, you, that spark in you gets lost. It really does. It, it, the world beats you down until you start behaving, um, which is kind of sad, that freedom that she has. 
is going to go at some point. And uh, that's why I love about the ending when they're running toward the magic castle. It's just this uh, running away from the inevitable. We can keep the fantasy going. We we can run to Disneyland, which um, they would never be able to get on any other rides. They'll Someone will spot them begging money mm-hmm. in two seconds. It's, it's not going to go um, well because this is a place where has so many rules than they're used to, <laughs> especially Mooney. Mm. Like she did, yeah, like her mother, does not do well with rules or boundaries. Um, and, I was going to say to your point as well, where yeah. like that discipline really isn't a thing as well. And I think that's probably what attacks, I say Jancy, but it may be Yancy as well. So yeah. whatever yeah. it may be mm. as well. Um, she's seeing someone that is free range essentially as well and able to really act in reckless abandon before mm. and that really attracts her to her in that regard. Yeah. Whereas I think Mooney just likes to not be alone, especially if, she's allowed to go about her days as well but like even when they are receiving discipline in that regard they essentially make a game of cleaning spit off a windscreen yes i love that it's just like yeah they got in trouble for spitting on a windscreen which yeah kids would get in trouble for but as soon as so they, they see it in toy the... guns or whatever it is where they have to zap off the spit or whatever yeah it is. it's dan 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 yeah they turn everything into a game which kind of i love it captures that moment when you're six years old and you kind of don't remember you're much at six, but you remember that feeling of, oh, everything's pretend and everything's playtime and um, the games you used to play and the random friends you would have, not because you wanted to be friends with them, but because they were next door. It's, your world is so small. <laughs> exactly. Um, and like the only time where she really does feel like punished is when she's on her own. And this is, sorry, she's not being punished for this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously the... Um, the actions of her mother that leave her into this. But the only time you actually do see her cry, even after she burned down this building as well, which the town kind of revels in as well because it's seeing has been a hotbed for sex work at some point in time yeah. as well, um, which speaks to a stigma that is around um, within that community yes. too as well. But, like, it's that at the end where she's told to be separated as well. Like, she just needs that sense of belonging and being mm. around people as well. So I found that to be very potent. Yes, she's a kid that doesn't like to be alone and... As soon as she doesn't like being told she can't play with someone. So as soon as one of her friends leaves, she instantly replaces him with uh, Yancey or Jancy. Um, and then when she can't play with Scooter, it's like, well, when you're six, when, you can't tol- when you're told you can't play with someone, it's devastating because that's your friend. But yeah, exactly. she, doesn't, she doesn't like to be alone. Um, and that, that, you're right. I didn't pick that up, but you, she, you're absolutely right in that. No. Oh, this is such a good movie. Like, so I, good. I honestly, can, I can speak about the Sean Baker all day as well. And I and I hope as well, once Spread Rocket is available as well, I have someone that I can just yell over the moon with it is because I don't really know that many people who have seen it. No, it kind of, I remember getting real buzzes like, oh, Sean Baker's got a movie. And then it just kind of disappeared. And I don't know if it's because everyone was upset with Licorice Pizza um, and then didn't have time to be upset with Red Rocket. I don't know, but um, it's... I- it's a very interesting comparison. I see them as being very, very different. I actually, yes. have you seen that? You probably have seen this. Have you seen Badlands, the Terrence Malick film? Yes, I have. Okay, so I watched that for the first time yesterday as well. Mm. Uh, and I just thought to myself, I was like, oh, okay, so these um, the age gap difference romances have really existed for, uh, you just, I don't know, it's something that's kind of more eye-open not eye-open that's the wrong word lights flickering as well because something like that probably would have been 
not really scrutinized in the same regard oh, as no. well. But to, be honest, to be honest, in that movie though, that, that is actually seen as being problematic, particularly with um, Martin Sheen's character. Oh no, I'm only saying this about Red Rocket because I haven't seen it and all I know is it's about an older man who befriends a 17 year old girl. Um, that's all I know. And there's something to do with the porn industry because he was he used to be working, he used to work in porn. But other than that, I don't know much about it at all. It just seems you'll have to say and we'll have to talk about it, Lindsay, because I definitely have some things to say. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. And when you get into watch more older movies and you realize that they kept pairing Audrey Hepburn up with men in their 60s. <laughs> it's like... uh, Andrew actually made the comparison between Harold and Maud as well. I was like, that is an extreme one. <laughs> that is an extreme one. Yes. I still need to see I've, um... that. Yeah. I haven't seen that one yet, but um, I need to oh, see it. Oh, my goodness. See, it... <laughs> is yeah i have only just seen it recently it was five dollars on itunes but my goodness it is do you know when you watch something as well and you just know immediately this is something special yes yes i do i i get a lot i got that with red rocket i um the, the florida project i think i've i've always really liked it but the more times i've watched it the more i've fallen in love with it as well and especially watching it again as well and taking these notes and dissecting it as well you just realize the brilliance in it yeah tangerine i love straight away um the Florida Project has taken me a few watches to really me to go, oh, okay, I actually can see what's happening more because he does fill the his movies with people who just create drama. That's what it was called. Just, oh, my God, they love drama. But it's more than that. And when you break down, especially Haley and Mooney, you realise that they're not necessarily creating drama for drama's sake like some people do. They just, that's the only way they know how to react. Um, they don't know that, yeah they, they don't have the tools in order to do that as well and i think exactly. you nailed it on the head before as well like um you it, it's easy to cast judgment on how Haley mothers in that regard as well especially so easy. it being something so free range in that regard mm. as well where she allows her child to go out and about as much as she does mm. but to your point as well there's something i don't want to excuse it but there is something there is a pull to Haley in that regard as well, where you can kind of see she doesn't have the tools that equip. She may not have the the tools to do what she needs to, but she obviously does very much love her daughter. And you can see that in these really intimate moments, particularly mm. like when they're together in the bath time as well. Like yes. you can see it there or jumping on the bed together and all yeah. like so that. By the end of it, it does become a bit more um, sad in that time because you can actually see their time is going to be cut short. Yeah, no, there's no, you never look at this and see the, an uninterested mother who's thinking, oh my God, I have this kid to feed. It's more, I love this kid. I just don't know how to raise her. I just don't have the tools. Um, And raise it, yeah, it's, and it's that, what that's what makes it heartbreaking. Um, And it's also like, how can she get someone to take care of her child? Like when she's working on the likes of that too as well. She Um, can't, yeah. She has to rely on the kindness of strangers and she's that not always going to be able to so and then you have to trust said stranger <laughs> exactly like that is the thing as well and whether or not she's being left on her own and the likes of that mm. as well like does it need to be done like sometimes when she's hanging out with her friend perhaps not so much mm. um but does she know that though no she like she obviously thinks that it's fine as well to that degree as well mm. so it's i think it's a very interesting way in which motherhood has been depicted as well in recent times as well because i don't think you see Mm. um i don't see think you see something as confronting as something like that uh, very very often yeah abusive mothers are usually or any abusive parent is i hate this child i don't want this child near me this is i wouldn't and i wouldn't say um kaylee is being abusive in any way shape or form because she's not 
Um, but to see a woman who just is incapable of taking care of her child in the way that society expects um, is really confronting. But to sort of see that they have a bond and they love each other and the fact that Mooney is copying her every single move, um, you can tell that they adore each other. It's just circumstances with these two. Um, absolutely. Um, and, and there yeah. being an absent father in the picture too as well. Yes, exactly. Um, and to go from one parent-child uh, relationship to a very different <laughs> parent-child, father-son um, <laughs> relationship. Um, we might a plus segue there. Yes. Um, we're going to get on to another classic. Uh, that is uh, Psycho. Uh, now, Hagen, Ooh. what would you be your first trailer for Psycho? Okay, cool. I've prepared you for this before as well because yep. I don't think this is the most conventional of choices there. But I thought, you know what, we're here for it. Let's go for yep. it. Um, so when I was re-watching Psycho as well, so for anyone also that wants to re-watch that, um, mm. hopefully Stan gives us some money for, um, <laughs> um, for <laughs> plugging them here as well. It is on Stan if you haven't seen it all already. Yep. So the movie that I selected for the trailer that I would run prior to this is Disney Pixar's Cars. Yeah, you so, did. <laughs> faster than fast, quicker than quick. I am lightning. Hook him up, Mater. <laughs> Where am I? You're in Radiator Springs, the cutest little town in Carburetor County. How about some organic fuel? Take a car wash, hippie. Look, I'm Lightning McQueen, the famous race car. I love you, Lightning! I have a precision instrument for speed and aerodynamics. You hurt your what? <laughs> I know his type race car i don't mean to be rude here but you probably go zero to 60 in like what 3.5 years an interesting choice one's very murdery i won't say which one um just yeah i won't give any spoilers <laughs> away yet so um you never know about owen wilson's characters let me just nope. say that so um admittedly i've only seen cars once but the, the one thing that i really struck with me and i think that the film really composed quite elegantly is um this idea and again this everything just ties into one once you speak to it more i'm getting more florida project from here as well again um <laughs> but it, essentially these communities that exist on the fringes as well so the town of radiator springs in um the cars movie um exists uh, essentially that has been isolated due to the introduction of a highway that really it focuses on people getting to the destination as opposed to smelling the roads as well. So um, that idea of these places existing on the sidelines that have been impacted by this as well, people not taking the moment to mm. um, really be present and we're in a rush to go everywhere. We're super, super busy as well. I really thought that idea contrasted um, to the Bates Hotel, not in a murder sense, but essentially you look at it in comparison to that as well, where these really egregious acts are happening within there as well. And because of their isolation, they're actually thankful for this as well, because it doesn't raise suspicion for that. Um, it's essentially this destitute little place that no one really goes to. Um, they can exist from there and they can conduct their business. So very, very different. Um, but <laughs> that, that idea of just being isolated next to a main road as well, that was something that really struck, um, struck a note with me as well. Um, and that that is potentially their only real connection between one another. Um, no, I like it. And well, Soko is very much dependent on the highway not being there and of a very much a specific car culture, which is all over the first 40 minutes of, of, of Psycho. And I really love the idea of looking 
at Psycho in a way of what happens when you isolate a certain community, which is all through horror movies, essentially, but also very specific in also Florida Project as well, that this is a community that has been completely isolated off cut off from the main artery of what Disney World's created. And then this highway um, where this flourishing hotel used to be is no longer <laughs> flourishing. Um, and it's just Norman and his mother. I, I really love that idea for a trailer. And I think it's really great because I think, yeah, you, when you sort of said you chose cars, it reminded me how much, I mean, it's not the back half because I think Psycho changes what it is about three times or four times. <laughs> um, but that first chunk of Psycho is very much about escaping, getting on the road, trying to go around the back roads. It's, which is, again, I've only seen cars once, like way back in the day. Um, but that is the same kind of thing. And yeah, one's Pixar, one's Hitchcock. But I think that it works really, <laughs> really well as a trailer. <laughs> Could you imagine if uh, Hitchcock did a Pixar movie? If I'd, I love I'd love it. I'd love it. Be lots if of greens and the Jimmy if, Stewart. If only <laughs> that style of animation was available to, uh, however many years earlier. Oh, my God. Just someone, a, a poor human wanting to wanting to screw a dead person. Um, like in Vertigo. Um <laughs> No, I'd, I'd, I'd go to I'd go to it. I'd go to the screen any day of the week. I would absolutely go to that any day of the week. So no, that is a great, great trailer, and I absolutely um, love it. I'm going to go for a 1958 classic horror movie. I don't think you've seen this one. I don't think you said you had, but it is one of my favorites. I think it's great, and I think kind of speaks to the kind of movie that Hitchcock was actually trying to make, and that is The Tingler. From 1958, William Castle with uh, my man, Vincent Price. And I feel obligated to warn you about the next attraction you will see at this theater. The picture is The Tingler, which I directed. And for the first time in motion picture history, members of the audience, including you, will actually play a part in the picture. You will feel some of the physical reactions, the shocking sensations experienced by the actors on the screen. I guarantee that The Tingler has more shocks per minute than my last film, The House on Haunted Hill. But don't be alarmed. You can protect yourself. When you see the picture, you will be told and remember the instruction how you can guard yourself from attack by The Tingler. And now may I show you a few scenes from The Tingler? This has nothing to do with the plot of Psycho at all. It is essentially um, about a mad scientist who kind of creates this thing, this bug-like alien thing that attaches to your neck, makes you so scared that the only thing you can do is scream to get it away from you. So it was kind of like a gimmick to see in a movie theater that um, I think they hooked up all the chairs in the movie theater so they would shake to let you know when to that, mm -hmm. the, that the tingler was coming and you all had to scream all at the same time. Um, and it gives you cues for this. So it's a very, very gimmicky movie. Um, I love it. I think you can watch it without the necessarily the gimmicks, which I have multiple times. But like that, Psycho was also a gimmick movie. This was one of the first movies where Alfred Hitchcock sp specifically said, I need you, if you are late to this movie, you cannot get in. Because there are <laughs> things, uh, mainly it's uh, like, did you go see, the, you went and saw the new Scream, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah, it's like Ghostface coming up and going, we're going to, don't spoil the movie. <laughs> you know what's worse? Assholes who spoil a movie. It's kind of um, like that. Like he literally changed how how people went and saw movies. Like people didn't care what point of a movie they walked into. They just walked into it. And he kind of changed that. And it's a very gimmick kind of thing. Just like 
William Castle, who uh, was kind of, he wasn't exactly portrayed, but he was very similar to the character in Matinee from 1993, if you've never seen that movie. Um, that's a very William Castle-esque kind of director. He's like, how can I get people to go see this movie? What gimmick can I have flying skeletons flying around the theater or um, kind of things like that. So it's, it's, I love this movie and yeah, that is my first trailer. So I'll have to add that to the list. That sounds very good. But I think like, I think we, we, we might touch on it later as well, but it mm. like maybe Hitchcock gets away with it just because of the prestige that is associated with yes. his name as well. But I, and print Vincent Price is very high up on my list. If I'm being honest, if I had to currently choose my life is um, for movie watching, I only really get um, to watch one um, pencil moustached man at the moment. And unfortunately, I picked John Waters for the time being. Well, that's, um, you can't blame you for John Waters. No, no, no. I, I chose the wild, but I'm sure it's just as well. But I, like it, I think he probably gets away with it from the prestige side of thing. But to see someone that actually respects their vision um, to do so, I think there's something that is very um, admirable for someone like Hitchcock and as well for Vincent Price admittedly I'm not the um most privy to his work as well um that doesn't feel pretentious in that regard as well I know we were just speaking about before as well like apparently directors leaving notes for people to read before screenings actually explaining <laughs> their work as it being the most provocative and um soul shaking movies of all time as well so I think with something like horror as well is probably a little bit different beast in regards to that because there is that thrill there is that sensation within the movie as well as opposed to um someone thinking that they're changing the world potentially yes yeah I don't think Hitchcock thought he was changing the world I think William Castle was just trying to make money but that <laughs> idea as well of the 40 whatever experience yes, as well scared it's, the it's... crap out of me. I don't I don't know if you've been to Disneyland in the States, but there used to be a Bugs Life ride there as well that was for kids. That yeah. was not for children. They were like spraying water at you. There was like cockroaches appearing on the screen as well. Oh, I was literally yes. traumatized as a 20-something-year-old watching that as well, let alone like little kids next to me laughing it up. So yeah. no thank you. <laughs> no, this shows my age, but when I went to Disneyland, it was Honey, I Blew Up the Kids Show and they had they were shrinking things and i swear they had puffing bits of air up your pants like if you were just up your legs so it felt like mice were crawling up them no 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 yeah no i'm, I'm good <laughs> apparently they had those 4d boxes and stuff now too as well i think i'd get whiplash for it as well i get motion sickness at the oh. best of time going in, going in an elevator <laughs> i <laughs> hate those rides where you're sitting there and the whole thing moves and you feel like you're in a cat no i don't i don't like those um yeah you do neck just really really hurts afterwards. no thank you but good on you the yeah. thing well I've, I've added it to my list Yes, definitely. Ed Tingler is amazing. Uh, what is your second trailer for Psycho? Oh, so I had a so I had two options down here as well. I think I might save my um, Pedro Almodovar one for the time being as yeah. well. Um, any chance I can get to speak about him, I won't shut up about him. So that's all fine. We'll, I'll, I'll save him for another day as well. Mm. But for my next choice as well, um, I picked Falling Down, the Joel Schumacher Opus. We stopped serving breakfast at 11.30. Who's running out of patience? I guess some change for the phones. A peaceful man. Lord says, I have to buy something. Who's about to be pushed? 85 cent, 85 cent. Hasn't given me enough money for the phone call. Drink, 85 cent. You pay a go. A little too far. I stay. You mean you stole your baseball bat, but he paid for the soda. Just standing up for my rights. A consumer. Oh, this guy's discriminating. What kind of vigilante are you? I am just trying to get home to my little girl's birthday. 
Give us your briefcase. If everybody will stay out of my way. Here, you want a briefcase? Here's my briefcase! Where's the briefcase, huh? Wait, 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 wait. Then nobody will get hurt. So, um, I was very tempted to select a Batman movie here for him as well, but no, mm. I went for the I went for the Michael Douglas pick. Um, so the idea that I really connected with the movie, and I know we spoke about this before and we had different interpretations of it as well, mm. which I love. Yes. Um, whereas I saw it more so from the perspective of uh, from Marion's character. It's just in regards to having that action, something in you being activated. Mm. And I think that connection, like you can actually see that within her as well, where it moves from like objective of reality to the subject of reality in that regard. You can see her transform within that movie as well. You can see that moment in her where she says, no, I'm going to go out on my own here. Morally, it isn't good, <laughs> essentially what has happened here as well with going yeah. by um, the confines of what is right and wrong. Mm -hmm. But the idea is someone snapping into gear as well and essentially that puts forward the story in that regard as well. So um Probably not the most usual of um, choices to pick here for that as well, but it's just that idea on just one day, things just changing and going off on your own streams in that regard as well. She has some kind of reconciliation midway. Michael Douglas, unfortunately, doesn't have that, yeah. um, but it's essentially that kicking into gear and road trip movie in a sense as well that I um, found a really positive connection, but well, not positive, found a connection between the two. So... For my second pick, I pick uh, Falling Down. I really love that because I sort of saw it as uh, the Michael Douglas character being Norman Bates, um, but instead of inflicting pain and murder on just the person he meets coming to him, he goes out into the world and does and does this. Um, kind of like Psycho 3. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, but Falling Down is a really sort of interesting thing of um, your inner demons. Uh, because he's Michael Douglas is wearing that kind of short sleeve shirt with the tie, very Homer Simpson, um, with the crew cut and the 60s style glasses. Very car sales. Yes, very car salesman. Very kind of, this is kind of, I'm a schlubby businessman who can't kind of get a thing, but I've got all this kind of thing inside me. And when it explodes with him, it's he's beating up gang members he's going walking through a golf course and beating people up he's meeting a whole host of people and causing or uh, holding up a fast food station because he can't get the hotcakes or whatever it is um with norman bates he's got all this internal thing but it's his relationship with his mother um and we'll get into the whole um uh whatever the 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 um oh, transphobia no. on what what this kind well not maybe what this movie is but what this movie led to in terms of how that was portrayed but in terms of um, something that is already inside him, this anger that he's kind of turned into his mother or whatever your theory is, because I don't think I don't think Psycho really gives you a theory. I think it gives you five and then you have to choose kind of one on your own. Um, but yeah, I saw this kind of thing of your anger being let loose um, with mm -hmm. Norman as well as, as Michael Douglas. Fabulous. Yeah, any time to talk about to add a Schumacher movie into it, into the mix as well, I am all for it as well. They need to keep making fabulous movies out there. They do. They really, really do. Um, I've grown to love Schumacher um, over the years. I was a bit down in him because of purely the Batman. But then you watch like um, Flatliners and a whole bunch of other things. I'm like, I actually kind of like Schumacher. <laughs> He goes there as well. And I does. think there was such a homophobia with regards to his style of filmmaking too as well. The flamboyance oh, Batman. of it. Well. Batman and Robin, definitely, yeah. 
Yeah, 150% as well. But you really need the people going out there that are, I would say, swinging big in a sense um, Mm. with regards to that as well. You need those ones who are going to leave a fingerprint on it as well or else you really are just going to receive the same product over and over again. So, yeah, 150%. I'm falling down. I might watch it again tonight. No, it's I watched it a few months. The last movie was last year, and I remember actually liking it a lot more than I remember. I think he's not the interesting thing about Schumacher is he never took a political point of view and falling down is a very political movie um which mm-hmm. I think is really interesting to do like I don't think if he hadn't it goes what do you think of Michael Douglas actions he'll just go Meh, I don't know he's going over there he's angry he wouldn't really whereas I think people look at this now and go oh okay what is this movie saying um I think it's just talking about anger in general um especially with the, well, like fed up, I don't know if fed up is a word as well but what is the breaking point essentially as well exactly and I think as well like with, within that starting scene as well and you can also see it and do the right thing as well I love the use of directors using weather as essentially the representing the boiling point of frustration in there the hottest so day I think of the like, year yeah <laughs> Exactly, and, and then it just gets to a point where it's like, stuff it, whatever. I'm I'm activated in that regard yeah. as well. So I yeah. think that's yeah. I think that is the like the thing that really kind of strikes me the the most with the movie. Exactly, and also to your point, the fast food scene as well. Like how much that is a um, anger with regards to the corporate machine and essentially this product that we're be, we're being sold and not receiving in that regard, or how things are glossed over and um, marketed and the likes there as well. So that is such a stunning scene it is it's such a petty annoyance but the way but you understand why he's pissed off maybe not to take over a whole store a whole restaurant but yeah you can kind of get the really it's three past 11. <laughs> all that we're sold into this idea of like this fantasy essentially as well where it's like these ideals that we're promised that we don't actually receive and we're kind of marketed and jingled to as well to kind of oh, like yeah. gloss over these kind of sadnesses there as well so exactly yeah falling yes. down falling down <laughs> um yes i don't know whether my trailer is saying anything of the sort because i'm going again well actually no i don't think so so soderberg makes gimmick movies i think he likes experimenting um but i'm gonna go unsane from 2018. normal but you still see your stalker everywhere? Rationally, I know this is my imagination, but I'm alone in a strange city and I never feel safe. There's some more forms you need to fill out. It's just routine. I finished my homework. Sawyer Valentini, please follow me. But, look, I, I don't have a lot of time. I, I should be back at work, so. What am I doing in here? Take off your clothes down to your underwear. I'm not sure what's happening here. The door's locked. It would be better for everyone, especially yourself, if you just do as I ask. There's been some kind of mistake. By signing this, you've consented to voluntary commitment. I am being held here against my will. Do you know how many calls the cops get like that every week? Those are from crazy people. Um, yes, it is his iPhone movie. Um, Sean Baker also made an iPhone movie. Um, and yeah, this is Claire Foy being really... I like her um a lot and this is her mm-hmm. kind of stuck in a, a, in a facility where she knows there is danger and no one believes her when she's trying to get out it is a really great thriller um but more importantly this is steven soderbergh experimenting with how you make a movie um which in line with hitchcock i don't know if i think psycho had to be made on a budget so he used his tv crew and it was filmed much like a tv show mm-hmm. even though it's just as cinematic as this other stuff um but i love the fact that um yeah i just i'm I'm pairing an iphone movie with a tv with essentially a tv made movie um even though psycho was is not a tv movie at all but yeah that's that's (laughs) my second trailer (laughs) 
I'll need to rewatch that one again as well. I remember seeing it. Um, do you know at Cinema Nova as well how there were those cinemas right at the bottom? Like the really, they're still oh. very, very nice cinemas as well, but how scary it is to go yes. down at night time and have to watch movies there. So we got <laughs> stuck in that and it was pretty much me and like one other person in oh, the cinema. No. I saw, um, uh, my goodness, what was that movie called? The Mads Mikkelsen, another round there as well. Same oh. situation. That is not a horror movie whatsoever, but I was stuck it's seeing funny. there down in one of the dark ones at night and I was absolutely terrified in it as well. So um, if you ever want to have your pants scared off of you as well, go watch a horror movie at night time in one of those bottom cinemas there. It's like two flights of stairs down and they're t- so tiny and cramped and no cell phone reception at all, which you shouldn't I'm be so glad that... Oh my goodness, I'm so, oh, well, especially maybe for unsane, you'll be forgiven given the nature of it as well. Yeah. But if like any of the staff came in to check on us and the door opened, I think I would have never recovered from that. <laughs> yeah, be on the, on the ceiling going, oh my God. No, it's it's a really creepy part of the cinema because, yeah, you're like, oh God, I'm down in what, Cinema 7 or whatever it is. I'm like, oh, okay, down I go. <laughs> oh my goodness. Down the hope I don't need to go to the I hope I don't need to go to the bathroom as well because you have to run up like <laughs> flights of stairs too as well. So um, nothing <laughs> But I need to watch that movie again. I watched, um, uh, I think that was the third time he came out of retirement to do a movie, right? Yes, it was. He, the man has retired so many times. Yeah, he's, so many he's movies. The John, <laughs> John Farnham of uh, movies as well. I watched Out of Sight yes. for the first time. You actually recommended it to oh, me as yes, well. yes, I did. Yes. That's probably my favourite movie of his I've seen, actually. Like, I'm really, really tantalised before. How 90s is it, too, as well? Like, oh, my God. Lopez in it as well. It's uh, got Steve Zahn. It has got a, such a great 90s cast in it. I mean, Dennis Farina. I mean, that movie screams being 1990s. Um, I mean, the way they've done Jennifer Lopez's makeup screams 90s. But then you have Jennifer Lopez and George Clooney just looking at each other, and you're like, this is the hottest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I'd have to admit as well, like I probably may have not been the most fairest to um, our dear J-Lo as well, but like seeing her in that movie as well, like I that is unlike anything I have actually seen her in before as mm. well. And like she's very, very good in that movie as well. And I have to say, I think she is very, very good in everything she is as well. But um, my narrow mindedness in that regard as well, it was really great to see her within like a role like that that wasn't a sense which wasn't just a rom-com or poisoning jane fonda uh, yeah um i coming around a bit to i don't give her enough credit that's the only thing that's i'll the say only thing. So, bravo j-lo you you didn't need my um recognition here not at all but um you've made an even bigger fan out of me <laughs> no because i think i did it a little bit dirty because i hated i still haven't gone back and seen but i really did not like made in america and um the wedding planner just for some reason, I saw them both when they came out and just didn't like them. And then I forgot about the fact that she did things like Out of Sight and also The Cell's really interesting um, and Selena Jack. and Jack. And she's done some really interesting stuff and can do some really good work. But I think because she was she's such a career-minded woman, she's like, going to make um, rom-coms because that is where I'm going to get the most people watching my movies, not a Steven Soderbergh movie where only the film geeks are watching it. Um, but... Yeah, but she is amazing in that movie. I mean, her and the, the bathtub scene with her and Clooney, oh, my God. <laughs> You're in love, aren't you? The, the I thing am. I'll just I add about really J-Lo am. as well. Uh, the thing I'll just add about J-Lo before, the natural thing that you speak about before Psycho is um, uh, Jennifer Lopez's trajectory as an actor as well. Like, her movies as well that she has released, I'm not sure rom-com is the right word to say they're kind of marketed as being that as well but she's kind of done these movies that are essentially like light dramas in a sense yes yeah uh, where they kind of deter but like as a 
person involved in the films that she selects as well it is very empowering to women in that regard admittedly some of it um from the writing side Mm. maybe not as nuanced potentially as some other films are and I don't mean to criticize anyone for liking her movies as well because like she does speak to very key things that means a lot to people as well um but in terms of the movies as well, like it's it's very admirable to see her um, go out there and really kind of push these really strong roles in that regard as well, where it's people making it on their own and kind of these class uh, movies about class and like persevering and being yes. successful as well. So I will admire that. Sometimes I think some of the filmmaking could be a little bit different in that regard to try and mm. do my best to not say anything negative there as well. So um, bravo, JLo. Watch Marry Me as well. That is a hoot. I've heard, I've heard good things, so I'm going to have to check that one out. It was um, probably me not shutting up on Twitter about it. It might have been, actually, to be honest. <laughs> I'm you're, you're the number one JLo fan, I'll tell you now. Yeah. Not uh, not actually, but um, maybe, <laughs> for Marry Me, the number one Marry Me fan, yes, actually. Yes. Um, I sort of saw you go, like, this isn't actually that bad. I went, I when I saw, saw that trailer, I did not believe that was a real movie. I was like, this is not a movie. <laughs> Not one for like it's it's it seems like a setup from yesteryear though, doesn't it? And it seems it like something from like the mid, like the two thousands in terms of that really, really kind does. of like big premise. Like it it is big. Let's just say that. <laughs> oh, I I, I kind of hope so. If it went that movie just didn't go big and large, I think I'd be disappointed um, in it with with the premise of someone just randomly asking you to marry them when they're on stage. Um, but no, I'm... book line and sinker it had me all over. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I can't think of a good segue, but we're going to get into a one of the movies that may have changed, well, movies in a lot of ways. That, of course, is Psycho. Cue that. Here we have a quiet little motel, when in fact it has now become known as the scene of the crime. You have a vacancy? Oh, we have 12 vacancies. You know, this is the first place it looks like it's hiding from the world. I think that we're all in our private traps, clamped in them. And none of us can ever get out. Is anyone at home? Oh, that, that, uh, that must be my mother. I don't know how big I know you're not a big you're not a big horror guy but when was it have you when was the first time you saw Psycho or was this the first time that you had seen it um I'm slowly getting into catching up on a lot of the horror movies from yesterday mm. as well so um I don't know if this is embarrassing or not but I do make an effort to see all new release horror movies mm. as well um, so I'm probably a little bit more fluent in that regard. So um, I have seen Psycho. Um, I've seen it about four times now. I mm. think it's one of like my most watched movies now, just by circumstance. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I remember the first time I watched it. It would have been probably about ten years ago. But I watched it re- last year as well. Once Stan um, put the whole Hitchcock retrospective up as well. So oh, yes, um, yeah, that was great. I was fortunate enough to like demolish, like Saboteur. Mm. Um, Vertigo, North by Northwest was on it as well. The Birds was on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was fortunate. Like I went through this string where I was watching a lot of Hitchcock movies. Um, so, yeah, so that's basically it. It must have been about 10 years ago, but I've watched it recently and I 
watched it over on my Friday night alone um, while um, recovering from my third vaccination. So that added a little um, added a little bit of spring to my step watching it. Oh, yes. I n- had to watch another mo- couple of movies when I was like getting over my sort of vaccination. I'm just sort of lying there going, I hurt. Um, I hurt a lot. I was really, which is such a, like, no, I, I needed to watch this to prepare for this as well. But like, yeah. I like same for Florida Project too as well. Once you can like sit down and really appreciate the movie for its elements as well, you just have a, it, it either intensifies your love or you find a new fine love with it as well. So it was weird. I was going to do that. Then I was going to watch Pan's Labyrinth afterwards. And I yeah. was like, oh my goodness, that is probably not something which I'm about to pass out in if I have to read the words. So no. there was something in me as well that was really feeling the movies on set Friday night, let me tell you. Oh, yeah. No, I can imagine not wanting, when you're falling asleep to Pan's Labyrinth and waking up and then just seeing the, the Thin Man and just like going, uh, yeah, no. Um, no, I wouldn't have. What, what about you? When was your first time watching it? Ah, it was good. I'm trying to remember. It was maybe 10, 15 years ago. It was actually relatively new because I definitely had remember I had seen the remake first. Um, um. I know. It was at the movies. I was a teenager. I'd go to the movies a lot. And I kind of already knew the plot of Psycho just by, I guess, The Simpsons. Um, but... Oh, I, I've learned so many movies uh, from The Simpsons too as well. I Like Rear Window as well. I was like, that's not what happened in The Simpsons. Birds, or, yeah. or Clueless and, um, oh my goodness, Emma as well. I was like, yes. oh, when I saw Emma recently, I was like, oh, that's not what happened in Clueless. Clueless did this. I was like, yes. okay, maybe not. Yeah, no, it's exactly like, um, and I, The Shining is, I knew The Shining plot because of The Simpsons, like The Shining. Um, so <laughs> I think... I think I kind of already knew the tropes. I had already seen the remake, which I have mixed feelings on. I think it's an interesting experiment, but doesn't work. Um, and then I, when I'll, finally... I'll admit now, I've, I haven't seen the remake, probably for good reason. Probably now, for good right. reason. And, unless and you... I haven't seen any of the psychos other than the first one. Unless you're a completist, I have seen all the psychos. So um, unless you are a specific completist, then don't watch the there's no point to watch the remake it's just a weird experiment and you see a way more of nh than you thought you were going to um but it's yeah so it was a while ago when i sort of watched it i went oh yeah that's good and when you watch a movie for the first time when you kind of already know what's going to happen and you kind of already know um the tropes that this movie created it's like if you've uh if you ever watched citizen kane you yep. won't you won't see again i just see the simpsons which Another one that Simpsons taught me to as well, actually, Bobo. I was waiting for him to say that the whole time. Yes! (laughs) You're waiting for, where's Bobo? Um, And Homer to play with a box on his head. Do, 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 do. Um, Pretty much. Yeah, and it's not that, and it's all, but you've already seen everything that this movie influenced. That's Psycho. And, but the more I watch it, the more I, like you said, you gain this appreciation for what it's doing. Like I've had so many people say, but Psycho's not scary. I'm like, I don't think it was ever meant to be scary. I think he was trying to shock you into being scared. Like, oh my God, you just killed the main character in the 40 minutes into the movie. Um, now Norman Bates is our hero. Um, and then the whole extra twist of it was his mother. I think, mm. um, I think, but when you watch kind of the subtlety of it, of, yeah, there's a reason why the shower sequence is so famous because of how many cuts he used and what it took to put together. The fact that Bernard Herrmann, did this amazing score the fact oh, that, that music is haunting. oh my god i love the score so much um the fact that um not only does this movie change constantly from what it's actually is but some of the shots in there when like lila's hitting back the light bulb after she sees mm-hmm. where norman's mother actually is it's such a gorgeous gorgeous shot all the fact 
um, that he does show a flushing toilet. Like watching it now, I'm like, yeah, it's a toilet. So what? People in 1960 are like, he showed a toilet. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of remarkable and just the performances like every single time I watch it I love Norman Bates's performance more and more I think there's a really gorgeous vulnerability to it um that unfortunately he did so well that the poor man was typecasted <laughs> as a yeah. man constantly leaving it or being in it or coming out of an asylum um what I happens think, when you're too good <laughs> yeah you're too good at this thing and then all of a sudden it's like yep and you now are an asylum person you are now living in an asylum in every single movie you're in you're crazy um I, th I think the other point too as well and um the idea of context as well like i always just like watching that movie first and saying oh that wasn't scared which i don't mm. believe is true as well no. because uh if you want to be scared too my goodness watch the trailer for it it's six minutes and i don't know about you Lindsay, but whenever someone speaks directly to the camera um especially in the really old school movies as well frightens the absolute bejeebus out of me yes um i'm pretty sure vincent price does a lot of that too doesn't he yes he does yeah my goodness like yeah no there is something about it it's the black and white old school creepy one of them talking directly to the camera oh my goodness and it goes to six minutes too as well which would be unheard of in today no um, he, he, i love it because he literally goes around the house and goes there is something that's when that very hitchcock voice which i can't do there is something that oh happened God. on the stairs but what what secrets are in this house i mean it's he's kind of giving you almost a play-by-play -play of the movie but telling you nothing <laughs> It's quite spoiler. Uh, I don't know about you. I yeah. try and minimize my um, trailer intake at the moment as well. I'm just so paranoid by like having more things revealed to me as once. Well. Like I'll try and not to say that I don't do it as well, but I just really just like going in as blind as I can to movies mm -hmm. now. Like I won't read reviews beforehand, which is a bit of a contradiction seeing as I write reviews. But um, <laughs> that's that, that's another thing as well. But like I always try and be really scant on plot, um, mm. particularly when I'm talking to it as well. So um the fact that he does that is very very brave but like it's just the context of it too like people would have never have seen a movie like this before as well like it invented the slasher essentially i could be uh, willing to be proven wrong there with regards to that as well but um yeah you'll know a lot more about this but like was horror really that graphic and intense for the time being as well and like would people really suspecting that with regards to it as well so i can only imagine within the timing of actually being able to witness that movie as well how really extreme and terrifying it would have been versus yeah. now as well where everything has been in like a lot has been inspired from that as well like I, yeah i think again which is probably not the best comparison to it but scream of course like they did the same thing mm. well, same thing but drew barrymore's character for that as well do you remember how big of a like a shock that was when she was killed off like two minutes into it lost my mind and i should have known because that is a slasher thing i mean you always meet mm. the person um that's gonna die first that is kind of like a friday the 13th it's a very much happens in a lot of 80s horror movies but me, because mm. I was the perfect date, I was like 15, 16, just old enough to go. You're present watching the movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm the person watching the movie. I'm like, oh, they're not going to, yeah, but they're not going to kill Drew Barrymore. And then they do. And I just losing my mind of like, what the hell is going to happen for the rest of this movie? And then you meet Sydney. Um, it's, yeah, blue, just mind exploded. And to have watching this movie, sit down and you're following Marion Crane. 
30, 40 minutes in, wait, what? <laughs> She's dead. What, what, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? Um, yeah, I think it did. I mean, you could, there's probably examples. I don't even know about that. Someone would say, well, actually in 1943, there was this movie and I'll be like, okay, need to see it now. But, um, no, it kind but of, nothing's really like hit the mainstream and the jugular like psycho has for that as well. Like, no. I don't think there's many movies that, well, the film community probably, um, give them a free shot there as well. But like in terms of like early horror movies as well, it's pretty much this though, right? It really is. I mean, um, because the last two decades from my knowledge, it was a lot of supernatural um, horror movies. It was a lot of, it's a ghost, it's a mad scientist. There's something kind of tricky going on. It's it's mm. not as, I mean, there was a lot of sometimes hints of graphic nature. Um, but it wasn't is that is that more sci-fi though is it kind of blur the line between yeah, the two yeah definitely blur between the two because 1950s was all about the nuclear thing so you had godzilla you had a lot of monster movies um you had um some of the poe thing uh that well that was 60s mm -hmm. um so it yeah you had a little bit of the hammer movies coming in in the late 50s but that again was dracula it was frankenstein um yep. and those british ones were quite violent for their time but they weren't a dude with a knife um it was and the only other movie i can think of that was close but this ruined michael powell's career was um oh god peeping tom um uh, mm -hmm. made the same yes. year um which very terrifying because it's literally about a guy filming people while he kills one and he's a very um disturbed person much like norman bates um but that l ruined michael, michael powell's career and he couldn't make another movie in uh england after that he had to go other places like incredible Australia. isn't it yeah and it's just it's maybe a slight a slightly more graphic than um and it's in color it's in color and maybe slightly a little bit more graphic than um psycho but psycho almost reinvented alfred hitchcock it was he yep. had made north by northwest the year before which was i love that movie but it's completely different to what he does in psycho it is mm -hmm. night and day and then after that, he's much more horror. He's much more um, shock. He's, he's shocking the audience more. Before it was his really amazing thrillers and, and noirs and, and that kind of thing. And then he makes Psycho and then he, oh, well, I'm making Birds. I'm making Marnie. I'm making um, Frenzy in the 70s. Um, it's much, I mean, God, I mean, you can pretty much blame Psycho. Well, not blame because I love Giallo. But the whole entire Giallo mm -hmm. in Italy is because of Psycho. <laughs> and, well, not just Psycho, but it has a lot to do with it um and so it's kind of weird that yeah this is the first it is considered the, one of the first modern horror movies maybe probably peeping Tom should be there as well because i think it's just as good um but it's psycho is the one that kind of rang the bell for the rest of the world and everyone went oh i can do that <laughs> yeah 100 percent. before we kick off into it as well do you have a favorite hitchcock movie um it changes i think sometimes it's either something rear window um or notorious I yeah, love those two. No, they're good movies. Yeah. They're good movies as well. Yeah. For what me, it has to be it has to be rope. I think and as well, like the the how I really appreciate and I know it was probably a constraint back in the time as well, how brief the movie is as well. Like yes. I think when you're talking about movies, they only need to be as long as they need to be as well. Yeah. Like it can go for three hours. I think that's fine. But if it doesn't need to go for that long as well, that's when you can feel a drag as well. So I think having a really tight 
thriller in that regard as well, where there's suspense, there's mystery. Also the innovations as well, just as you mentioned um, about him in Psycho with regards to his mm. filmmaking style as well, um, that there was never really such a thing as a long take in a film before till Rope actually happened and they were filming these really extended segments as well um, where editing would come into the play and actually kind of um, shave off some of the edges as well, um, which I know as well, I think like from an acting perspective too as well, um, especially of the time as well where that stage mentality was still in play as well as opposed to anything method or trying to be lived in real life as well um i think that carried into it very very well as well which i think would have been a great thing for actors as well but anyway long story short it's just a really strong tight story in that regard so big rope fan here oh no i i don't blame you love i mean every time someone says this is my favorite hitchcock i'm like yeah that's a really great movie and rope is really great because you can kind of see the actors not acting like movie acting they're acting stage because they're not used to these long takes so the only way you can see they're getting their head around it is like oh i'm on stage i've got to hit my marks like i'm on stage i've got to do this when i'm on stage and if we mistake we have to go all the way back to the beginning um and film yeah. like having to pay for the film too as well how expensive it was for a studio as well if you stuff that you have to refilm it yes. to go back i don't know how like i know psycho was made on a budget so i imagine yeah. something like that would have been um consider it in that regard as well but like to go back to Sean Baker um I remember hearing an interview from him where he was saying they shot on film for um uh Red Rocket as well that was a third of the film budget that they do so just because he liked that um that grainy look to it as well so I can yeah how risky of an investment that would have been where you're essentially tripling the cost just for a filmmaker to um wanting to get his vision up on screen yeah, and the fact that he's Hitchcock, I think, is the only reason why he was able to get away with something like that. Because um, there's a story on the, the expense that it would have added to it. <laughs> yes, because I know there was. Um, there's a. I don't know if it's an urban myth. What? Oh, sorry, back, banging things with uh, rope. Is you're passionate. I like it. I'm passionate. <laughs> I'm moving my hands around. Um, <laughs> is that there's a story of someone dropping something really heavy on a gaffer's foot, them having to quite put a hand over his mouth to stop him from screaming or yelling and dragging him out of the room because they were in the middle of a long take and because if he stuffed up <laughs> that take they'd have to go back to the beginning so yeah you've got that kind of um that thing where everything the whole movie was just like okay we need to get this done we need to get this done in a certain way um and you kind of love it because of it and then the actors you feel the actors are in the same room and then going back to sort of psycho when he's doing the shower scene which took days like this was not just i mean because he had 36 different angles that he was working with um for the week for the week yeah it was for a week um and she how, and uh and um well janet lee was only actually filming for three weeks so a third of it was in this really small screen time yes yeah and she's in the shower like for a week um and the fact that how much film they're using on that scene just to get those quick shots um and the fact that this movie had to be on a budget because universal did not want to pay x amount of money um for this sh uh schlocky little horror movie that for some reason he wanted to make when they wanted him to go make another north by northwest um mm. is kind of yeah he could get away with that stuff because he's hitchcock um he never won an oscar but he's still one of the greatest act uh, directors of all time and he was one of the biggest money makers um for different studios they knew if a Hitchcock thriller came out, people were going to go see it unless it was Vertigo and people got weirded out by it. But most of the time, um, 
it was he was very very bankable so they kind of let him do what he wanted and he could get away with certain things to be able to experiment um but you're right i know with uh sean baker he loves using 35 that's going to take up a hell of the budget i know mm -hmm. uh, when um ryan johnson was making uh the, the, the knives out he was filming on digital but his cinematographer on his birthday they he shot on film that day it was like his birthday presents like oh you get to shoot on 35 <laughs> even though the studio said no to 35. <laughs> i think the only one who they'd really let away, get away with it now is probably tarantino right yes because I from think like that... a big studio production perspective yes. because like his movie is so distinct like the personality of his films are old school in that regard as well like they're um, pastiches of things prior and he still will make money for the studio for that i mean uh once upon a time in the west still made 200 million dollars um exactly. which i love so he's still going to make the money even though he's spending a lot of money on film um so it's kind of and yeah it just the way you take takes and the way you do things has to change on whether what kind of camera equipment you're using and i love the fact that psycho is kind of a even though it's just a horror movie and people kind of see it as such it's actually a very experimental movie in some respects because he's just like no one's watching me um i'm you know adapting this bi uh, biography about this true crime guy ed gain i love how ed gain's produced three of the greatest movies of all time but that's another exactly. thing um ed gain i'm doing this thing on ed gain no one's really paying attention to me so i can play around with it this is um and yeah people always have always kind of looked at horror again in the 1960s as b movies yep. um they were things you played in drive-ins these were in exploitation theaters these were not something that kids went to or something like that yeah it's where the that kids went to yeah it's where the teenagers went and saw this was not this was not um the thing that the new york times would review and but i think they did actually because it was the new hitchcock um so he kind of even though he was told you're going to have this much money so you have to he uses his tv crew he uses essentially the equipment from his tv show all this kind of thing and he makes a movie one of the most influential movies of all time i i don't know how i'm still going how did you do this <laughs> believe your vision as well and i uh, read yeah. as well that um correct me if you know more information on hmm. this as well but he filmed in black or in black and white because there was some concern with regards to how gore would appear in color yes. but also as a cost saving mechanic as yep. well I, mm -hmm. is that where it's tied to the television side of things yes it is um they didn't want to do it in color because he they knew pretty early on the script was going to be gory um considering there's a um pretty big name actor i mean it janet lee was no slouch um mm. in a shower purportedly naked um the haze coast was just falling away um they were worried about how much gore was going to be how it would look on color um so and the fact that it was cheaper to film in black and white i think yep. it's more effective in black and white i don't i 100%. think it would I think it would be way more gaudy um and i love those gaudy color horror movies from the 60s but it would have looked very very gaudy um and i'm kind of glad he went black it's and white. so striking as well particularly like the vision of the house on the screen as well where yeah. it does look like a thumbprint as well it is yes. terrifying just looking that on screen as well so if that was in color as well it would remove the like how obscured it is in terms of visual as well also like her driving in the car as well and that her being symmetrical to um like the vision of it as well and seeing that um i think it, it adds an added layer of expression to it as well it really really does and it looks a slightly more artistic because you can play with the they can really play with that light and shadow um how beautiful is black and white though oh my god it's so beautiful i love it so i love black and white so much um 
I still haven't seen um, the uh, Parasite and because he did uh, he because he did a black and white version of um, Parasite. Yes, I haven't. Seen, I've only seen that movie once as well. I'm kind of a bit. Um, I love the movie. Like I remember just being so taken aback by it as well. I just need to prepare myself when I see it again. Yeah, but I they're doing one for Nightmare Alley as well, actually. Which I'm. I I don't know. Like I I haven't seen the original as well, so um, I'm assume you may have um, stronger yeah. feelings for it than I do. I don't know. I think it might work in black and white. Actually, I think I might like it a little bit more, just because I thought Gary Oldman looked too old for the role. Like in the original, he's and in the book, I think he's meant to be a bit younger than the uh, uh, Tony Collette and uh, Kate Winslet characters. I think they're mm. meant to be slightly older, and Gar- Gar- uh, I think Bradley Cooper is their age. Yeah, so it was a little bit kind of like you need to be more Rooney uh, Rooney's. Um, uh, age at more a little bit more it, it changes yeah. the dynamic though as well like it, it does it changes the context of the scenes as well which is funny for um to lead it back into psycho as well mm. the uh, the character of northern dates within the books is meant to be this middle-aged um randall looking man as well but yes. apparently they tidied him up for the look as well which i think it works really really well having him being this gaunt and nervous figure as well and you can kind of see the influence from there as well in terms of like characters that come across now as well where um, the visuals are you're really this really big imposing figure or else you're this really lean skinny like gaunt looking um, character as well so um, I, I could be incorrect here as well but I like to think that that visual kind of inspired that moving forward from there yeah no because uh, Norman Bates looks really young especially I think he's I don't know if he was actually younger than um, Janet Lee, but he looks like he's younger he looks like a boy still he's got these boyish kind of features still and he's very small and very gaunt um and the fact that he keeps talking about you eat like a bird and i oh, i don't know much about birds i just like stuffing <laughs> and it's it's such a it's so creepy yet so oh, i love his performance so much it's so sad because you don't see him as his mother for most of the movie he's still norman bates who's very timid trying to cover up for obviously he's a terrible liar all this kind of thing so you still see him as a sad kind of boy almost um and he's kind of come in and kind of taken over marion's story um mm. for these reasons that it, at, at the time when you're watching this movie for the first time you don't necessarily understand and i still don't think in 1960 people didn't know why norma Bates. although he's crazy and there's probably a lot of mental illness in there because i still don't see him as a trans person um yep. even the movie says well i mean it's 1960 so it's very dodgy and how they were talking about it um but it's it's something different something creepier something that people don't understand and so when you get that final scene you're like ah <laughs> no 150 as well like i'm uh, it'd be a tough it'd be a tricky one to make a movie of nowadays as well particularly with the stigma of um trans people people who are queer and the likes mm. of that um, having mental illness and being predators and the likes of that as well. So yes. um, I think if this one, I, not to say that it couldn't be done as well, but I think it would take a special kind of script and filmmakers to get it really right. Yeah, because I don't know if this movie is necessarily going for to say that the trans and queer community is a predator, but I think no, that's, but I think that's what everyone else took that as. Like it started the trope of just put him in a dress, he's nuts, um, killer, yep. and it's um done probably more harm than good and to be fair i do like most of those movies i'm still a big fan of brian de palma's dress to kill 
which I can't look at that anyway else because they go into so much the mechanics of it. I'm like, oh, that's not probably the best way to deal with that, Michael Caine or Brian De Palma. Um, even though Silence of the Lambs, I don't think was going for that. I think there was still harm done by that movie, even though I think you do get some very empathetic moments with Buffalo Bill. Um, and, but at the same time, so yeah, and then there's so many trashy horror movies will just like, he's crazy, put him in a dress. That's how you know he's crazy. Yep. Um, which is kind of the wrong lesson to take from Psycho because you do have that. But I think at the same time, the, I know a lot of people don't like the psychiatrist and cause he's so mono, he, he's sort of just talking and people get, I think, bored by it. And I'm like, I think yep. they're meant to, I don't think the psychiatrist is meant to know what he's talking about. I think Norman Bates is Norman Bates and you're never quite going to understand him. I think that's the point of the movie, at least for me. Uh, I agree. I think like the complexity of it. And to be honest, I'm probably not the right person to be speaking about what is offensive to people. Exactly. Um, yeah, me too. others as well. That really isn't my experience as mm. well. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very, very hard one to comment on as well. Like mm. I, 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 I would hope that with the changing tide with regards to how filmmaking is moving and hopefully I don't know if opportunities is the right word, but like correcting um, who is represented in films as well and the stories that can be told with regards to that. I mm. do hope more of that becomes available as well and um, there is greater awareness to um, instances like that. And also using something like horror as well, like which is the satire. It always has been the satire of previous, but um, like you can just see how someone like Jordan Peele in particular as well uses the confines of a horror story to highlight the... Um, injustices and what is awful um, with mm. regards to issues of race and class mm. he uses horror as a backdrop to do that which has always been the case as well but it's good to see it having a resurgence in that regard so I do think it is there as well I'd like to think as well that people can separate the art um, between what is the actual cue on screen as well yes. um, at the same time though as well that may not be my place to really make a comment with regards to that as well because I appreciate there is a really bad stigma in there as well which um, people who are queer and the likes of that as well have been seen as being predators mm -hmm. has been seen as being a mental illness has such an awful stigma to it as well so um, I, I see that as particularly changing for that as well. But I think in the case of Norman Bates with regards to that, um, there's clearly, I think he really could have been occupying anyone in that regard as well. It just happens to be his mother who was um, a cruel and demanding figure as well that really repressed him as well. So uh, I think within the context of that story as well, that's done to show that he was dealt with great strife within his life. Yes. No, I think I absolutely um, agree. And all I can sort of say to that is I hope more stories are told about a more diverse group of people with those people being involved. So we just don't get one image of something. Because um, I can't speak to that kind of trauma, that kind of experience either. Um, but it's just, yeah, I just kind of wish people, because Psycho changed movies so much that they just took certain tropes and, um, and um, just kind of went with it and it's yeah but it's at the same time this movie is so goddamn inventive i mean i love how well you get to know marion um so well before she's murdered that it's still shocks me every time the shower scene comes up yeah 150 like 150 percent and like you can see from like how horror um 
moves moving forward. Well, sorry, like that is essentially the invention mm-hmm. of the slasher movie where people are essentially treated as like you can watch um, current movies today. You can tell which characters are disposable as well. The fact that this actually made the character meaningful with regards yes. to um, giving her agency, allowing her to take control, giving her a backstory, showed that she had wants that she was trying to get from A mm. to B, as opposed to just being someone who's attractive and friends with the cool people in school, whether whoever that may be as well. Yeah, it added punch to it, like one hundred and fifty percent. Like, and the surprise that would have happened from that just shows the power that she was not disposable and that her kill actually meant something to it as well. There was actually an energy to it as well, which I find very, um, yeah, very impressive. Uh, yeah, because I think, again, a lot of movie makers took the whole, oh, you kill the person at the beginning. Right, we'll do that. And I'm saying this as I love slashes. Like, I will watch any slasher. <laughs> I will love it. Um, I've become a big fan of slashes over the last couple of years. Um, but I think they took that as again the wrong list and even though it created its own genre so i'm fine with that but i think yeah marion key not marion keys marion kramer mm-hmm. um i'm saying all the wrong names um she has a backstory she is in love she can't afford to get married i love the scene with the guy hitting on her at the office it is so gross it's and i'm just mm-hmm. like oh i can instantly see why you wanted to leave your life behind if this is what you get harassment every day and um your workplace considers you disposable almost or just as a thing um yeah i can see why you took the money and and run exactly yeah i can totally see that um and it's not surprisingly but what is surprising is that she has to because she's trying to stay off the main roads because she knows she's stolen this money she's heading down the back roads and she ends up going to a back roads hotel and everything's very isolated and very um yeah like you said when you can you can barely see the the house on the hill like you can kind of see the lights but that's it and i think that works so perfectly in black and white um as much as i love the sequels that do it in color but i love the whole fact that everything's in gloom and rain and then yeah particularly how it changes as well in terms of the look of the movie as well where um uh, she begins to go on the road. I don't know if road trip is the mm. right word, but we'll just say so. Um, when she begins to go out on the road as well and like the the shift from these um, shots looking out on her with the people in her life mm. to that feel of claustrophobia where it's just focusing on um, you then hear her internal monologue once she begins to have um, doubts, once she becomes to become uh, radicalised in her ideas as well. Mm. Um, it's such a striking look though, isn't it as well? I could just buy a coffee table book of that image of her just looking directly into the camera. Oh, it's so gorgeous. And I love her in a monologues. Like she's imagining what's going to happen once people um, discover that she's gone with the money. Um, I absolutely love that. It's, it's kind of that it's playing out another movie of what's kind of happening that you don't know, but all you're getting is her look staring, her kind of just staring at the screen and then these kind of internal monologues kind of um, happening. I think it's so, so great. Um, so when- How deceptive is it to, oh, sorry, yeah. I cut you off. No, I was, I think I was going on to a really random point. You go. Oh, well, I was just going to say, of course, like how her story then parallels the normal Normans as well with regards to, you see the movie shift towards the end as well, where it's the end of her story as well. And you're seeing them more internalize what the go is from there as well. So I think there's such a, deceptive brilliance in that one as well where you can see them as completely different characters but they're actually probably not so different um after all are they no they're not um i love when they're sort of two movies kind of diverge and they're sort of in that room together and he's sort of just talking about 
you eat like a bird and his movements are kind of bird-like. I was just <laughs> noticing this time, like he does these very quick movements and he's often cocking his head to his side. Um, it's such a brilliant performance by him. Um, and I, lo- I love that shot of the bird too as well. Like um, oh, the fact yeah. that she is essentially his prey as well. You yes. see that image of the bird with the wings really spread as well, hanging in the background while he's talking to her as yeah. well. So I think that's such a really striking image. Exactly. And it is such a striking image. And yeah, it's right. I mean, he doesn't necessarily know in that moment. Well, actually, you never know quite know what Norman's thinking. But yeah, she is his prey. And so, and then... Well, the shower scene is just one of the most iconic moments in in movies. I mean, that score, the way, I mean, the, there's a whole documentary just on that two-minute scene or one-minute scene um, about how many cuts there were in it and the fact that it was incredibly gory for the time. I mean, someone actually being stabbed, um, the fact that you have her reaction, the fact that you're looking on her at her face, um, once she's dead and then the whole camera, you're just on her face quiet. And then the movie just pans out to the bathroom and, and the scene that it's, um, it's still, I still love it. I still kind of hope that it's not going to happen. I'm like, Oh, Marion's going to get away with this. It's going to be fine. No, oh. no, no, no. The uh, mum's mummy's not happy. <laughs> so it's going to, it's going to no, happen. <laughs> I, it's, it's cruel, isn't it? That you actually yeah. just watch it unfold as well. You see someone actually taking, um, their own life into their own hands as well. And also, really teaching a pig a lesson even though she may in the traditional sense be in the wrong as well but like she wants to like she sees this this connection between marriage and wealth so that's where she sees it and also this person who was an absolute pig um that probably deserves a slap on the (laughs) more than a slap on the wrist right as well but like trying to make it on her own in that regard as well Mm -hmm. i think is very very good like it's such a strong theme that uh, permits throughout the movie as well I think is like the, and I like to always just look as as I'm sensing from you are too, Lindsay, mm. with regards to slashes as well. Like it's such a genre that's been tied into sexism in particularly as well, particularly for women that mm. are sexualized, objectified, all the terms that are used in there as well. So I really think like this idea of male aggression in that as well. It's usually the women that are the victims of the ones of these mm. very very like violent acts against them as well. Mm. Yes. You, you would know a lot more of it. You'd be more learned to this than I would be as well. Was there something like that prior to Hitchcock's work? Um, Maybe not in the horror sense as well. You kind of always saw it there in like the, in the rom-coms and stuff like that where it's object entertain. Not necessarily wider as well, but in terms of like the light romantic comedies and stuff of the time. Yeah, probably light romantic comedies where the women are definitely sort of the object. Then you have sort of your noirs where you'd either have your ultimate good girl who is yep. very good, very domestic, very thing. And then you'd have your, your femme fatale who is mm. pretty much plotting to kill you always. I mean, she's using her sex appeal cause that's what women weren't meant to do. Um, and in that the men were a vic- the victim a lot of the time because it was, um, just after say it's World War II and World War II ending when all the men were coming home and finding out all the women had their jobs. So it was very much about reasserting their place. Like, no, no, mm. no, don't be the femme fatale, be the good girl. It was a lot of that sort of happening. Um, very strong women being put in their place. And then you do get in the sixties, women becoming the victim again, as in two male aggression. Um, I could be very wrong, but of everything I've just said, I'm sure someone can come back and sort of say, actually, you're missing this, 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 and this, but that's kind of uh, my memory. And then in the eighties, it was mm. all about sex and blood. That's what it was. Yeah. It was, how can we shock you? How can we 
give you more violence or that kind of thing. And then after that, you slowly see kind of the final girl becoming a figure of empowerment. Um, they are still having violence um, kind of put upon them, but they're the ones fighting back. I mean, if you see Na- mm. Nancy in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, she's setting booby traps like a pro. I mean, she is really taking an active thing to go. So it's not quite like in Chainsaw or um, even in Halloween when you mm. have Jamie Lee Curtis and Sally just devastated. Like they survived just because they were able to wait out the clock. They were able just to get away that mm. one more time before they got on a truck and f- drove away or Loomis came in and shot Michael six times, as you will find it's it a, in the sequel. It, that's a fitting movie to reference to as well. Yes, very fitting. Um, <laughs> and then you've got sort of more, then you see the woman fighting back and that's kind of been the trope. I always found slashes to be as sexist as they are empowering because one woman are going to fight back and they will always, there will always be at least one woman who is victorious. And the fact that a lot of slash, especially in the um, 80s, are all about, yeah, um, being, even though that was never Halloween's intent, it's always the idea of being punished for sex, um, which is very mm-hmm. a Reagan idea. But then you yeah, get Scream, which turns it all in its head. And then you have um, Sydney, who is just constantly having these assholes, like even Billy, even kind of these perceptions of who she is. There's this kind of misogynistic kind of thing built into the cake of the movie, which she is fighting back against. And that's why I love Scream. More I watch Scream, the more I'm kind of seeing that in the first movie and seeing kind of how, well, in the third one, it's blatant because it's friggin' Harvey Weinstein. But it's, um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's kind of interesting in how it's kind of done that. And it's, Screen and uh, Psycho is much more, um, I think, purely just to shock you because you get to know this character, you mm. like this character. Hitchcock had, even though he may have been the worst, had a really funny sense of humor when it came to his movies. Um, you want to know more about this person, and all of a sudden she's killed. And it's like, wait, what? And then now you're following Norman, and you find yourself having just as much sympathy for Norman as you do for Marion. And mm-hmm. it's a really interesting dynamic because... As soon as he has to clean up that that um, bathroom, you feel so sorry for him. But even though you know he's the, as well as the killer, at that stage he's like, "Oh, I have to kill my, I have to clean up my mother's mess." <laughs> yeah, he's he's obviously possessed in a sense. Yes, yes, he is. Yeah. The, um, while we're talking about the, oh, sorry, please sorry. go ahead. He doesn't know he's possessed. I, I always like to think he there's actually the split personality with him. No, 150%. While we're talking about the other women characters of the movie, I would just like to mention her co-worker in there, Who, how casually she tells her that she takes tranquilizers. Yes! Um, and then it's never... I, I think one of the first time I saw that, I was like, okay, that's going to play into it somehow as well. But no, nope, she just randomly announces that she takes tranquilizers and it's never heard of again and no one bats an eye. So I appreciate that. Uh, the fact that she kisses, I took tranquilizers on my wedding night and my husband was furious. I'm just like... Oh, you just made a sex joke. That's awesome. <laughs> we're never, we're never addressing this again as well. How, nope. um, how, how odd this was as well. So, it's good on you. <laughs> just that really weird Hitchcock sense of humor. Um, I don't know. And then, yeah, she's amazing. I love her so much. She's like, oh, he didn't flirt with me because he saw my wedding ring. It's like, no, it's because you're not Janet Leigh. <laughs> yeah. Most- Yes, exactly. How, how only beautiful woman. As well. <laughs> and I think as well, like like with all the dialogue that does happen about the movie, particularly with the challenge to that idea of domesticity as well, um, you really are seeing their new and old combat one another as not in terms of age, but in terms of ideals in that regard as oh well. My, particularly yes. with that gentleman that, well, to be honest, that 
and never really left. I'd like to think hopefully that there's something changing in the winds. Um, but like in terms of the, you would have seen like from the sexual revolution and the likes to come from that as well, there's those attitudes that are seeping in as well, where it's not just um, I'm malleable, I'm able to be controlled and the likes of that as well. It's I'm taking, it's not wrong to be in love because that is a real feeling, um, but it's I'm doing everything on my own to act on it and to make things happen for myself, wrong or right. Um, I can do all those things as well. I have just as much opportunity to be garbage as anyone else. Mm. So um, it's really, really profound in terms of how it's told for that, um, particularly from Janet's performance as well as that individual there too as well, which also makes her losing with regards to her and her, her, and her movement as well, where you kind of want her to have a win out of all this as well. Um, yes. Even more devastating, right? Oh, so much devastating because she never gets... She never gets to go to her boyfriend and say, look, I may have done something stupid. We may have to get the money back, but I have the money. We can get married. Um, and that, you know. Or, or if she actually was going to turn back and apologize and pay back the $700. Yes. It's kind of, um, it's it's amazing in terms of, of that because it's not, Marion is not, I don't see her as being punished for wanting to have, a sex life and actually be married and be in love and have a different life. I think Norman just can't handle it. I mean, the, the story exactly. that the sheriff, sheriff tells of, oh, they were found, his mother was found in bed, um, was found dead in bed. And she goes, and she wasn't, and she was in bed with someone else. This kind of little tidbit of like, oh no, she was having sex. And Norman just, for whatever reason, how broken this boy was, could not handle the fact that his demanding mother who demanded all his time was giving her time to someone else. Mm-hmm. So he murdered them. Um, and when he sees uh, Marion, it kind of just triggers off that same boom, thing, boom. And it's and it's sort of interesting. And I love the fact that you – so the movie changes. After the murder, the movie just changes to something else completely. And now you have Lila, um, played by Vera Miles, comes in mm-hmm. um, to now sort of take over that place. And she is just, what happened to my sister? My sister's not Business. here. Yeah, it's, it's much more – I want to find out what happened. They have, they have they have to convince people. Well, because everyone goes, well, didn't she steal forty? Didn't she steal the money? It's like it doesn't matter. She stole the the money. She's missing. Okay, she would not have done that. Even if she she would have gone to her boyfriend, she would have made some sort of contact. Something's not right. Can you please talk to Norman? And the fact that Norman is a terrible liar, I think, is a nice touch. Like he just. Anytime someone questions them once or twice, he's just like, I don't, I, I, it's not, I can't answer this. I don't know what to do. Oh, he's a, he's, he's creepy, man. <laughs> like, so creepy. Do you, do you get, um, Sunset Bull? Like, with, it's interesting that you bring up her sister's inclusion within the movie as well, because mm. it's really good on screen as well, just to see two, a male and a woman character next to each other and not have it be romantic in that yeah. regard too, as mm. well. I get very Sunset Boulevard um, vibes from that too, as well, which obviously came out 10 years prior to that as well, mm. where it is like these people coming together and wanting to resolve and find out the mystery to that as well, where that, without anything romantic being inspired from that. Apparently that's very different from the book. Like you probably in order to write books for that time as well it needed to have a solution of someone being saved or that kind of closure there yeah no one's being saved in that movie which i love in sunset boulevard but i always see that movie is filled with no love but all sex like mm. um uh norma desmond is completely screwing william holden like that mm. i yeah and the fact that he wants his own life she's like oh no you cannot have your own life you're in 
you're mine. It's again. I, it's yeah, I have, I'm the money. You're my property. Yes, I have the money. You're my property. You would always, as I say, and if you're going ahead and trying to do something else without me, that's a big no-no. Um, and it does sort of play in, and Psycho does play into this kind of the dominant older lady, which was kind of mm. happening. Well, no, I don't know if there's a research. Actually, there might have been because Sunset Boulevard and All About Eve did really well, and that has a very. Um, and I think when did uh, Mary, Mary Jane came out and after Psycho. But it does kind of play into this older woman um, being very domineering and um, very, very naughty. Like, <laughs> and which Soka may have started as well. I don't know if um, what happened, whatever happened to Baby Jane, would have gotten made if it wasn't for Psycho, um, mm. who doesn't necessarily have an older woman, but it is the shade of the older woman who's causing absolute havoc in the in the movie. Um, but no, that's an interesting point because yeah, I, I love. Um, I love that movie so much. And that does play into Psycho a bit of the older woman who's just like controlling everything. <laughs> no, 150%. And I, and I read about, I remember when I was reading up on Sunset Boulevard mm. as well, like the interesting idea as well of like these menacing female characters. Yeah. Um, what is it? It's when looks have been lost. Um, the, the reproductive ability has been gone as well. Yes. Whereas they're turned into these really wicked beings essentially as well that are just nasty and resentful of the world as well. Yes. Um, However nope. problematic that is as well, like it's 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 interesting to see that be flipped on its head and like I'm, I'm interested to see what filmmakers do with that trope and kind of flip it on their head for that as well. Um, I think to your point, Scream does a fantastic job, not necessarily for that. Um, but yeah, it's it's I find it very fascinating. Maybe Drag Me to Hell, I think that did it pretty well there. <laughs> oh my God, I love, yeah, I love an old hag. Um, I love, <laughs> I love an old hag. I love those movies and I think they are very, uh, yeah, as soon as a woman can't have children and loses a look she's no longer a proper woman and um, once she is in a sex symbol there to be she's in a sex symbol so she goes crazy obviously um but i love those movies because i love those women um whatever happened to baby jane i think is the perfect representation of of that um and sunset boulevard and um yeah drag me to hell oh my god greatest greatest crazy old lady i mean she's so gross <laughs> Just the nails I on the screamed. table. I screamed in that movie too as well. I'm not the person to see horror movies with. <laughs> oh. I still come back. I still come back though. That it's quite. Um, yeah, I'm, I'd probably be the person screaming in the movie. <laughs> no, Drag Me to Hell is designed to make you scream. That movie is insane. Um, but yeah, she is kind of, and she's even though you never see. Well, you see her dead body, but you never see her. But she still has a hold over everyone. She is the one still causing all this chaos whether it is Norman interpreting what he thinks she is. It's not even mm. her. It's this kind of Norman Bates pretending to be his mother um, kind of thing. And it's, but it's, it's absolutely glorious um, the way she kind of holds the shadow all over the movie. And yeah, I love the fact that it brings the sister in because she's just like, okay, something needs to be done. My sister's missing. I realize she did something bad, but this needs to be solved um and she's kind of the force of going in there and actually investigating the house and the movie moves like i can at time as she goes into the house i'm like oh yeah i've still got another like for gonna have at least another 25 minutes no she goes into that basement and then all of a sudden norman bates is in a dress i'm like what that happened really quickly <laughs> 
I the only comment that I would make, um, I wish she was involved in his um disarming with regards to like him yes. holding the knife and stuff like that. That is probably my one key point from it as well that I think the movie does very well. But I really wish they kind of leaned in a little bit more where she could take action, where she could take physical action in that regard. Yes, because she could have. Because uh, Norman Bates, not that you know, I mean, he caught um poor Janet Lee by surprise, but he's not that. Like... Especially next to John Gavin as well too, that had like exactly. a foot taller than him. And, he's a foot taller. Yeah, it's literally like someone Muffled. holding his head while somebody's trying to punch him and Gavin's just like, I am, you are tiny. Um, and I am very tall. Um, but he just sort of grabs him and it really moves. I think a lot of moments really lean into the fact like, oh no, it's actually so-and-so. But this one, you just get a really quick look and it's Norman in a wig. And it just kind of just almost fades to black. And I think the whole reaction is meant to be, wait, what? And then you get the explanation <laughs> in the next scene. But it's um no this movie does it's i can see why this movie i keep i know why i keep going back to psycho because i just love the dialogue i love the interactions i love the characters i love the fact that i feel sorry for norman bates there's not a moment in that movie where i don't feel his pain um even though he's doing irreprehensible things i think what you said too as well the movements of the movie as well like yeah in terms of filmmaking with regards to that where it, and essentially if they were shooting it like they're having crews that are predominantly tv focused mm. as well having to change the angles around with regards to that where it's not like sitcom focused in that regard where it is you're just looking at one side looking in as well like the dynamic nature of in terms of like the shots that are using the actual filmmaking approach to that as well yeah. um you, you probably see it a lot differently like compared to something like rope per se as well where it's um shot left to right essentially in that yes. regard so it i think it gives it a scope and a sense of place into it as well where um it, like it adds to the feel of the movie no it really does and everyone's it's really up close it's really quite claustrophobic there isn't that many mm. wide shots i mean when martin balsam walks into the hardware store he's literally just walking into the face of the camera he gets really up close it's an amazing shot um but he looks like he's about to walk smack into the into the camera um you can and, see him breathing on the, you can see him breathing on the camera right yeah you can you're like you, you, it's, it's that close um and it's great and they're constantly up in people's faces like this is a very claustro it's got scope but it's very claustrophobic um mm -hmm. kind of movie whereas we go back to florida project and it's constantly feels like the camera's chasing everyone because they're yep. kind of leading the action the camera's just trying to keep up which is i think feels like how he likes to sean baker likes to shoot whether this one does kind of feel, it doesn't feel TV, but it feels very contained. Um, yeah. So, which kind of um, feels very different from every other movie being made around that time, because this was the time of when they were trying to compete with TV and everything was cinemascope. Like everything had to be widescreen. Yeah. It had to be these amazingly lush scenes. And then you get Psycho, which is literally feels tiny um because they are using tv techniques but it doesn't feel yeah it doesn't feel like i love lucy um it doesn't yep. feel very sitcom -y, um at all um it feels very fresh very new and even watching it now it still feels that way 100 percent. so while we're on the subject of so i did want to speak about the gus van sant movie as well yeah. um can what are your well, can i get your thoughts on what is your favorite remake that has ever been made Oh, I always... To put, you, to put you entirely on the spot, um, what is your favourite remake? Very basic answers. I wish I could be a bit more interesting. Um, but I think it is actually The Fly um, and The Thing. Oh, which... that's what I wrote too. 
I, I wrote know. the I wrote the yeah. I wrote the Fly and Gloria, which is a little bit of a different one. Yes, um, but no, I think I, I, if there's probably one I'm thinking of. I'm like, oh, but I love that remake. But I honestly, um, actually, there's also a movie called Mad Love from 1934. Technically a remake. Um, or 1935. Uh, it's a remake of a silent movie, um, which I'm going to say that as well. But no, I think it is literally The Fly and The Thing. I think The Fly is an amazing movie and I think it takes what the remake is, again, Vincent Price, um, original movie, and turns it into something completely different, a completely different movie. Um, and it's more about romance and the body than The Fly is a much more of a almost mad scientist experiment movie. Um, and The Thing very different again i mean it's all about the practical effects and what it does to the bot what these things do to the body i don't know they're, they're just amazing <laughs> uh yeah no definitely the fly as well i'd say how heartbreaking that movie is too oh. as well especially within the context too as well like i only just read about it as well like i was reading about it before i watched it once i went on a mad cronenberg mm. um demolishing of movies as well but like the subtext of it being like about eight survivors um and the likes during that period but um Cronenberg said it had it, he was he was happy with the connection between the two but it was more so struggling with ailments and life-threatening diseases as well and just watching it my goodness heartbreaking oh, stuff it's heartbreaking and um especially I that last it. monologue as well with um Goldberg in it as well as he's like decaying during that period I know there's a moment when he's like really hyped up and excited to be a fly when he hasn't quite decided to Kang yet and he's having sex with everything that moves. It's so mm. erotic and yet so dangerous. And then he just starts, yeah, the fingernails. Um, and you also wrote down the Gloria remake. Oh, uh, yeah, I won't go too much into that. The the director's name escapes from me as Sydney well. Sydney Lumet. But, um, <laughs> no, 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 sorry. The, no. the Spanish for Gloria Bell and Gloria. Oh, yes. Sorry, I'm getting confused. Um, so, no, 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 no. You're cool. The, the, a bit, a bit more of a modern one. Um, done by the same director too, as well. But I yes, know, I know. Yes, I know what you're talking about. I don't think Julian Moore can do any wrong. If I'm being honest. Yeah. No, I keep meaning to see this, and I don't think I've seen the original, but um, I've heard really good things about it, and especially the uh, the original. Um, I think they're both on SBS as well. If we're yes. doing some plugs, <laughs> I need to I need to do this. Um, but yeah, so I was just blown away that Sidley Lumet made a remake to John Cassavetes' 1980 Glory. I was like, what is happening? Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's no, that is a movie I need to see, and there are some really interesting um, translations of. Uh, foreign language movies into English and sometimes they really don't work sometimes they are good but too similar to the or something too close to the actual one like let me in which I think is a well-directed movie but I'm just like yeah but I just saw the original Norwegian uh Swedish Norwegian and it, that's amazing uh, Swedish, I'm pretty sure. Swedish you're gonna you're you're gonna have to forgive me I saw force I saw downhill before I saw force majeure my goodness <laughs> <laughs> that was a mistake oh no um but I, I think i think to your point there as well where it's just far superior as well and like it, it just misses the point of the original film yeah no because the original i haven't seen the remake i have seen the original but the whole thing is meant to be a dark it's funny but it's meant to be like a drama on male um, fragility male fragility and um kind of what is expected of a fa family members in a unit and when you run mm -hmm. away from them what happens the fallout um though if the remake has will smith in it in it it doesn't it uh will ferrell and will ferrell, will ferrell. 
I was thinking Will Ferrell, sorry. Because um, Will Ferrell is married to a Swedish lady and loves anything Nordic. So he's constantly trying to remake these um, Nordic um these Nordic movies, um, which is fascinating. Just watch the original. Just, Just watch the original, guys. I don't want to sound like a gatekeeper or the elitist as well, but, like, some things you, you don't need to remake. No. Sometimes... I don't mean to sound pressure. I hate sounding like this. I sound like the old man yelling at the wind or whatever it is. <laughs> yelling well, at clouds. Like, <laughs> why? Like... I, I get it as well. Some people just want to lean back and experience, but like the context and the power, and especially like if you're looking at it from the perspective of different cultures too as well, there's a power to that. So I, yeah, come on. Yeah, sometimes it's just a better, it's just sometimes the, re, the original is going to be a better movie. Sometimes you will get the fly. I don't quite know how to sort of explain it. Um, and the remake of Psycho, I think is an interesting experiment because he made it, almost exactly the same the dialogue the camera timing everything else and yet it's not psycho i think because one it's in color i think too some of the casting's weird he does um he does this really interesting thing where sometimes he'll just put like a bizarre shot in the middle of something where where the original wasn't there um mm. like a cloud or a cow um but i think that's him and he then he puts a really loud jazz score over robert For forster Deliver, who's playing oh, the psychiatrist goodness. at the end, which feels really disrespectful, but at the same time, it's kind of a way of going, yeah, this part never mattered. This yeah. part never did. You, everyone keeps putting stock in what the psychiatrist has to say, yet I don't think it actually matters one way or the other. I think Norman Bates is Norman Bates. Um, and trying to put him in some kind of box is pointless. Um, but it, it's just, it, it's... Yeah, it's a weird experiment. Um, I don't hate it. I don't, but I don't think it completely works. Um, yeah. Mainly because I saw it when I was so young, and even then I was like, going, "This isn't very good." I, I don't know what this is. Um, but at the same time, I think that doing something like I think he was trying to see if he can what would happen if he did Psycho as Psycho, and to see what would happen. And because mm. he had made Good Goodwill Hunting, the studio gave him money to do this, which I kind of admire. <laughs> it's like you got money yeah. to make this. <laughs> I I saw on one of the one of the notes as well. He essentially said that he did it because if he didn't do it, someone else will, or something along the likes of that as well. Which I don't know if that's the best reason to be making movies. Then again, I am not making one, and there's probably a reason for that. Yes. Um, but I think, I, I think as like a filmmaker, if you want to apply your signature to it as well. Uh, it, it must seem a little bit frustrating to have such parameters put in place as opposed to like the occasional flourishes that you can include to it if it really doesn't transform it. Yeah, no, but he was actually doing that on purpose, which I find interesting. They didn't say, because usually a remake will kind of change things here and there and so the director can do whatever they want, but he actually That's just... their flavour. Yeah, their flavour. He did beat for beat, which I think is him deciding I'm going to see if I can make Psycho as Psycho. I want to see mm. if, even if I do everything the same as Hitchcock did, will it be different? And yes, it is. It's a, it's more of an experiment than, experiment than anything else. Um, and because the fact you said, I don't want to change anything because it's psycho. And it's like, then why are you remaking it? But at the same time, you're seeing what Hitchcock and the people who made this movie brought to the movie. It's, I don't know. I think it's still worth watching because I think you're watching it going, why? But at yeah. the same time, it's, showing you that you can do everything that Hitchcock did, still not the same movie. 
it's still I mean, that was his reaction though as well he essentially wanted that contemplative nature from like the audience that is seeing it as well but I I don't I don't know like if you were releasing a movie in the 90s as well I don't think you're attacking you're attracting original Hitchcock fans no like the idea I think you're attracting I assume it would have been young people I could be incorrect there as well it was me Um, I went to saw that screening and I was a teenager going what I don't get it um because I hadn't seen Psycho. I mean, I even told yeah. my dad, and he goes, you haven't seen Psycho. It was like, the remade Psycho, you haven't seen that movie? I'm like, no, I don't think I'd like it. And he just kind of looked at me and just goes, oh, I'm not going to try and convince my teenage daughter to watch a black and white movie. Um, <laughs> many years later. Oh, uh, little did he know. Little the, did he know um, that. Would transform yeah. Into, right? yeah little, little did he know the, the thing this would send me on. Because um, I even remember the first time I watched Ed Wood going, I don't like this, it's black and white. <laughs> Um, oh, Ed Wood, was, that's another one. It's fantastic, my goodness. I mean, I just want to whisper to my 14-year-old self, this is everything you love. Stop it. Oh, my goodness. Um, you, yeah. will love, you, will, you, will want, you will love Bella Lugosi. Stop it. Um, just wait till you watch I, I, 31 I, for the first time. <laughs> I only read, like, it would have been in the past two years that I watched Ed Wood for the first time, and that, like, left me gobsmacked. I think that's another movie that kind of just hits you in all of it. Hits it you does. in the feels. It's you in the fields, hits you in the right places. I'm just there. Bill Murray has a relationship with a whole mariachi band. I. What I, more could you want? What more could you want from a movie? Um, it's, I'm, I'm a person of simple pleasures, and I'm just going to have to say that is it. <laughs> let's shoot the fucker. Pull the strings. I mean, it's just so good. Um, anything else you want to say about Psycho? No, I think we covered a lot of it as well. I think, yeah. and I like that we spoke about what it actually means as opposed to a beat for beat um, discussion on yeah. all that. We can maybe quickly mention about Gein. Uh, am I saying it right? Gein or Gain? It Gein. Gein? Okay, I, was, I, I said it wrong twice. Um, <laughs> and the influence he's essentially had on all the horror, all the slasher movies that have to come since. It's kind of weird that he's had this massive effect. I mean, yeah, he, he was the basis in Psycho. He was the basis in the Texel Chainsaw Massacre. And he was the basis for Silence of the Lambs. Um, there was another movie too as there, well, but I think the name escapes me. Sorry. I think there's one called Deranged, which is a much more biopic, I think, horror movie yeah. about, about him because he was a man that liked to make things out of people. He was a, he was a craftsman. Who had a very particular relationship with like his Phantom mother. Thread, pretty much, right? Yeah, huh? What was that? It's like Phantom Thread, isn't it? Oh, yes, very much like Phantom Thread. He would sew body parts together and make necklaces and make um, things out of vaginas. <laughs> he was a very, very strange man. Mm. Um, strange cat. Had, strange cat. Um, and to be in that house. Um, but all these kind of movies, he's, he's become kind of this American boogeyman. And yeah. they made three of the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> because of the fact that he liked to wear other people's skin. Um, and uh, Psycho much more focuses on the fact that he's a taxidermist and the fact that his relationship with his mother, um, with his um, Silence of the Lambs and uh, Chainsaw is all about the skin. It's all about the body parts. Yep. It's all about that. Yeah. Um, which you could probably, you couldn't do in 1960 as much as the Hayes Code was falling away and no one really cared about that anymore. You still could not go, Norman Bates, oh, look at my mask that I made out of human skin. Uh, you still couldn't do that, but I, yep. I love, I love the idea of this one figure who is the American boogeyman, and it is he has created, he is the source of all this, um, also myth, almost mythical legend, um, for good or for ill. Uh, it's it's absolutely it's it's incredible. 
No, 150%. And I think it's an interesting one to look at how media is concerned now as well, where podcasting from a perspective as well really is true crime focus as well. So it's oh, yeah. this idea that we are really fascinated by these people that live out there unhinged desires in that regard as well and those figures like him had contributed to that however controversial and the likes for that like whatever you you do have to say about it just mm. how influential it is and how much it satisfies something that we probably don't like to speak about oh do I, ever since netflix started on their true crime thing i'm just like yeah i'll watch something about the yorkshire ripper and then i'm going why am i watching yeah but it's there's a weird fascination people have and that's also what made Psycho that much more salacious. Because time was, to him, yeah. yeah, it wasn't that much far after the whole Ed Gein thing became, was revealed or was broken the news. It um, wasn't that far after. Um, and then, yeah, Hitchcock's like, yeah, I'll make a movie about him. And then you also get movies like Portrait of a, uh, a, Portrait of a Serial Killer um, and these other kind of very, uh, Seven, um, all these other kind of movies that really kind of de- delve into the darkness of the human mind. And what I love mm. about Psycho is not, I mean, yeah, even William Castle made Homicide like about two years after like Psycho. I mean, very quickly he's like, oh God, that guy's stealing my shtick. I'm going to do steal his shtick. Um, but it's how dark, people are fascinated with how dark the human mind can go. Um, mm. And it's always been a part of whatever pop culture for the longest, longest time. And then you get movies like Psycho, but Norman Bates is really sympathetic. Um, I don't, I've never seen him, he does evil things, but I've never seen him as evil, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I agree with you as he's, well. He's, like it is, he's a broken person. Is look, yeah. He is, again, the symptom of possibly years and years of abuse and also the... Um, Years and years in abuse, and probably some un um, un uh, undiagnosed mental illness issues as well, which and, are, um, probably amplified the situation. And also the fact that he was alone, because he keeps saying, "I have, you know, there's uh, I have twelve rooms, twelve cabins." What? Which I did. Yeah, he's basically telling people, "No one comes to this hotel anymore. I'm on my own." And I think that isolation um, really kind of that's just as much of his character as everyone else who is very much a part of society kind of just letting this person be on their own and not going to go hey maybe you need some help (laughs) and i was going to say as well like to speak to his performance as well like you Mm. see him he's never really the same person for long periods of time you see him as this unassuming um person eager for connection Mm um underlying motives aside potentially you see him become activated and that aggression really mm. spark once mention of his mother is actually made yeah from there as well you see him as this person trying to get away with it all and you see this really sinister being as well that's getting founded in his lies as well but he does so with a smirk yes. um then you ultimately see his do his transformation again um aside from impersonating his mother as well just towards this really maniacal being mm. as well that he he's activated fully Yes, he's evolved to his final stage. He's evolved to his final stage, much like the fly. Um, <laughs> and, and I guess, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about these movies. Um, this was an, an absolute blast, and I can't wait to have you back on Shock and All again, or seeing you at Nova or uh, Crown. Seeing, <laughs> seeing, hang See, yes. I'll, I'll be around. But no, no, thank you for that. Um, really good fun just to talk. Got to bring up Cars and Joel Schumacher, so it exactly. was. Um, a, it was a great day. <laughs> No, thank you so much for coming on. And before we go, please tell people where they can find your good work. 
Uh, where can you find me? So uh, on Twitter, pretty much just on Twitter, find mm -hmm. Watched by Hagen. Um, you'll see all my reviews and ramblings and talking about trashy 90s movies as well. So if that's your alley, you know who to follow. Yeah, you, you I'm, watching, I'm watching the occasional horror movie and, ca and catching up on some black and white films as well. So I like to sneak that in too, just to keep things spicy. Oh, no, I love your trashy 90s taste. I absolutely adore it. I'm like, oh, yeah, got to watch that movie again. That's awesome. Um, no, please follow his writing. He's a great uh, film critic, great follow on Twitter. Um, lots of Ralph photos, which makes it even better. Um, and... Oh, yeah, I, I, I try and dial that down. I'm trying to keep the Ralph photos movie focused as well. So, yeah, um, yeah hopefully, hopefully I'm doing something creative with that. Otherwise, instead of just a manic person just spam, doing dog spam. Yeah. <laughs> nothing wrong with dog spam. Um, and again, thank you so much for listening to Schlock and Awe. Um, if you want to find, if uh, we're on all, I guess, all the apps, um, it, as you already probably already know, um, if you want to follow us, it's just Schlock and Awe 1 on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to follow me, it's, might be personally, it's Reading Geek on Twitter. Um, thank you again, Hagen, for coming on. As I said, I can't wait to have you back on Schlock and Awe. This has been an absolute blast um talking about these movies was absolutely great and uh we will be back next week with another double feature all right thanks guys bye <laughs>